Hello and welcome to the TetraCast. I am Brian Vitali, and joining me today are George Foster. Hello, everyone. Josh Torres. Howdy. Adam Vitali. Hey, guys. And James Galizio. Hey. Welcome to the second quarantined edition of the TetraCast. We're all working at home remotely because that's what we normally do. So... The world might be shut down, but we're going to keep going. It's been a weird week for all of us. It's been a, it's felt more like a month or a year, depending on where you're at. But we're here to talk about RPGs because what else are we going to do while we're all locked inside than play some long RPGs that will eat up some time as we wait for the world to return back? It's to weird us. that we actually got to the weekend now because this has felt like one of the longest weeks ever, just with a lot of things, developments on a daily basis you know it's from one thing to the next and it's just like this is a lot i think especially for me knowing that animal crossing was there waiting at the end of the week to sort of alleviate some of the stress that's built up has been has made it a lot harder like knowing there's this positive island escape game like right at the end it's just you know made it harder well that's one mindset where other people might be wanting to like release some stress through uh a certain other video game that released on the same day, but I think we will hear about that as we transition into the first section of our cast, as we normally do, what we've been playing. So I guess we'll just start with George. You've been playing, I assume, Animal Crossing. Obviously, it's only been out maybe a day, a day and a half if you got it early. Uh, how do you, It's your first uh, one in the series, right? So I've actually been playing... Um, I, I've been doing what I imagine quite a lot of people are doing. Uh, I've been playing Doom Eternal and Animal Crossing. Ah, that's what I, that's, uh, that's jumping between that the I was two. giving you. Rip and tear until it is done. Rip and tear until Tom Nook is pleased, I guess. It's they're both so you've been, so fantastic. You've been, so you've been jumping between those two. Yeah, it's it's been a bit of a a, a tonal whiplash. <clears throat> like I'll go from here in this like demonic <clears throat> chanting to the like, sort of gibbering noises of Tom Nook, but like it, it's it, they're both fantastic. It's my first Animal Crossing, else? also. Yeah, I've been uh, tinkering away at it. Uh, it's been a learning experience for me because I don't usually play these kinds of games that like have soft cutoffs of like you should probably play this much and then go back to it the next day because th there'll be a point in it where like there's this now I, I assume new to the series this crafting do-it-yourself table and like so if you want to get these tools to like go fish or catch bugs and whatnot. You have to go gather tree branches and whatnot, but then there'll be a point where like uh I run out of tree branches on the on my island. And I'm like, I can't do anything. I could buy these tools with bells, but that feels like a waste. If I just wait tomorrow, I can get it for free instead of, you know, paying up money in game currency for it. That's and, sort and, of that no, go on. And it's also weird that like I, I I'm playing with a within a crowd of people that are like Animal Crossing veterans, and I know it's the sort of game that like you can take at your own pace. Don't worry about quote unquote you know falling behind or whatever. But they're just all talking about this, all these things in Animal Crossing that like feel so far off, or I just don't even know yet, uh, and whatnot. And, and I feel like I'm falling behind, even though it's not that kind of game. But it's just like they're talking about this, 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 and this. And if you don't, and then they're also already saying like, "Oh, on day one, if you didn't get this up and running well," I'm just like, "I don't, I don't know what's going on." Oh God! And then so I need to like kind of 
separate myself from like the the talk between people that have played these games before. I I've been sort of having that as well. Like I I remember because obviously I've only had it one day, so there's there is kind of a like Josh said, there's a cutoff to what you can actually do. Like eventually the game basically just says right, just just wait till tomorrow. Like you you can't get any more sticks if you shake the trees. You don't have anything to do until this person moves in, so just go to bed. And I was there like, I'm used to staying up late to play as much as I like, so it telling me basically stop playing was quite kind of difficult to get used to. Like the 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 th- like I'm enjoying it a lot. Uh, don't get me wrong, and it, it it helps now. Also, I don't know if it's new to this game or not, but they had this uh, Nook Mile system. So like, if you want to upgrade your tent to like a house or something, you can pay like the Forty-nine or fifty thousand bells, or you can uh, earn these nook miles, uh, which is tied to like the in-game achievement system, so to speak. So to speak, like you sell this many shells, or you collect this many weeds and sell them off, or you collect, or you sell these fish or whatever. And then if you get that in-game achievement, you earn these nook miles, and you can use those nook miles as like a substitute payment system to do that. So instead of like paying the fifty thousand bells, you uh, you give Tom the, the Five thousand uh, nook miles, and then you you can uh, pay through that instead, and whatnot. And and the the nice thing about it is, uh, for me at least, there there are like in-game progression systems that that are the for these achievements that like I I know what I can work towards. So there there's like a goal of like, hey, catch five fish, and you'll earn like three hundred nook miles. I'm like, okay, I can process that. I can I, I can I have the tools right now. They'll probably run out soon, but at least I I know what my current small term immediate goals are, and and that's a nice thing at least for me because I don't have that grand scope uh, picturing in my mind at the moment because I just don't know a lot of the systems at the moment. Have you unlocked the museum, either of you? I have the uh, the groundwork. I have to wait till tomorrow or the day or two or whatever for oh, this villager to actually. Okay, so uh, I haven't played animal crossing since the original so i but i did play the original so i am familiar with anything that has been carried over since then um but yeah one of the primary larger term goals so to speak is the museum and filling it up and in the original anyway you could fill it up with bugs fish fossils and one other thing i don't recall um and like you got these through oh paintings um, or furniture and collecting furniture is kind of another thing you can do. Um, but yeah, that, that's one of those like longer term goals. And that's one reason to visit other places, I think, because certain things can only be found in certain, you can't find everything in your town. Yeah. That was the, that was the original, but it kind of becomes like a collectathon. And I'm sure now there's probably more nuances to how all that collecting stuff works. But I know that was one of the larger goals was to fill up the museum. So I, I was actually talking to a friend about like he played the the Animal Crossing on GameCube and whatnot, and so from what I understand, like the museum museum is already up there when you like started the game or very very early on. In, in New Horizons, you have to do this like very. Like, I didn't even know you could do this until like my friends brought it up. I'm like, well, how do you do that? You can turn in like five creatures or insects to Tom first. And then, like uh, he keeps like you know asking, "Hey, can I uh, send this over to a friend, uh, a friend that works at a museum?" And like you're like, "Okay, sure." And it gradually like starts opening up like uh, new stuff. Like it might give you like a recipe for a tool or something. And then like after the fifth one, 
he'll give you like the the go ahead of like, hey, he wants to come over here uh, to this island, and um, can you find a spot where he can like build his museum? So you have to go lay the groundwork for that museum first, for and then like wait however many days in real life before that museum opens up. So there, there's a working towards on that. And and the second point about uh, uh, about visiting other people's islands or like the not being able to get all the things that you have on your on your end. So from what I understand from how GameCube did it, it had something to do with like the memory card uh, and like how you gain other items that you normally wouldn't get in your game. And in this one, you can just uh, go through online now and go to other people's oh, I islands. I remember that. I had some sort of, I barely remember this until you brought it up. Like it was at the fringe of like the periphery of my brain. I had some sort of mm -hmm. memory card that was like, it had like an Animal Crossing sticker on it. And I remember whenever I started a new game, I would have to plug that in because that gave me like extra oh. stuff. Oh, uh, yeah, like there you go. Like, but like obviously that's not yeah. with New Horizons, but I just, I had just, I had barely forgotten about that and just you just brought it back to the front of my memory like a yeah i did i had, I had no idea that actually that's how it worked uh, back then it's but funny I... because mm -hmm. since the original animal crossing was just the port of an n64 game for the gamecube for us anyways the uh, memory card was basically like well it wasn't holding the whole game because i think the way it worked actually is that once you booted up the game, it actually loaded all of it into the GameCube's RAM. So you didn't even need to have the disc in to play the game because it was all just on the RAM. Oh, weird. Uh, but yeah, so I was, I, I'm I was not... reading, um, uh, I was reading Alex's review because Alex, who uh, Donaldson, who leads us up here at RPG site, wrote a review for Animal Crossing on Two Four Seven, where he's an editor, and he kind of brings up like a lot of points that both George and Josh have kind of talked about how it's a very different pace of a game. Like obviously here at RPGs and all of us who have, you know, more time on the weekends and the weekdays, well, on a normal week, we're, we're used to being like, all right, I'm going to sink four hours into this game or more if you're crazy. But for Animal Crossing, it seems like you're supposed to play it 30 minutes a day, an hour a day or so. And that's just the pace and it's very slow and it's relaxed and it's the sort of thing where maybe you put in your hour, you, you gather your fruit, you, you shake your branches off your trees, and then you, you boot it down and you boot up Doom Eternal instead. Why not at that point? And maybe a little bit of... Uh... Anyways, so we're obviously not... We're an RPG website talking about Animal Crossing, and Animal Crossing is really its own genre. I don't even know what you call it. It's Animal Crossing. But, Life uh, we actually. Yeah, we actually did request a code from Nintendo and they did send us one at launch because it's not like our bread and butter. But I think the plan is for George to actually write something on Animal Crossing. I, like I didn't actually maybe know we were going through with that. Yeah, with like an Animal Crossing or with like an RPG slant to it. It's not an RPG. I'm not saying it is, but just maybe talk about some similar DNA that might be there. But obviously like a branching the, path? Yeah, hmm. um, but the... With the type of game Animal Crossing is, you know, that might be a couple weeks from now because it might take a couple weeks to really get a full feel for this game. Yeah. That's yeah. Like, you're, like you've been talking about the pacing, you know, we're not in a hurry. So we'll I can't see. believe I actually managed to wear you guys down on letting me talk about Animal Crossing on the site. Like, well, victory from me, I'd say. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the thing, right? That That's kind of the, the whole uh, philosophy behind um, the branching path feature is like, obviously, our writers and uh, just staff members in general in our audience care about RPGs, but there are things, you know, that we, we don't only play RPGs for the most part. 
as you can tell from this as podcast. As you can tell by, yeah, from any podcast. Yeah. yeah. Anything, but... uh, I wanted to find a way, like, you know, to let people talk about the things that they like without feeling to have an obligation of like, hey, how do I like make this relevant to an RPG or like, uh, what will they think? So I, I think, you know, moving forward and hopefully uh, if we can get more things through for the site, you know, th that branching path feature is is there for, as an option for people to like pitch things to Alex and, uh, you know, get the green light of like being able to talk about things that you want to share with people that doesn't have to be relevant or tied down to RPGs, so to speak. And now I'm kind of have some, you know, my brain's working like, all right, well, what could I talk about? And <laughs> if, if I got Animal Crossing, uh, I bet you get anything, Bron. Yeah, yeah, you've got the hardest one there. So the look, I, 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 talk, I spoke about uh, Gundam Versus on it like a few years back when uh, during the beta. Like you can, you, as long as you have the, the the right hook for it, you can probably. So anything compared to Gundam or Animal Crossing would probably be easier. It'd be a lot easier to talk <laughs> about, for instance, uh, like Ori and the Will of Wisps as a branching path, because it has a lot Oof. more commonality DNA, which is my segue into what I've been playing this last week. So I know I'm a week behind uh, everyone else who talked about this last week about Ori 1 and Ori 2. But so basically, I started up Ori 2, I think, like last Saturday, like, right before or after the podcast and i finished uh -huh. it yes last night actually awesome. early this morning so uh obviously i don't want to retread ground that we already talked about but uh i think i'm i'm, always, I'm in the mood for that sort of like hollow night metrovania whatever you want to call it sorry for using that word um about once a year or once every 18 months so uh but i do think it was well paced i do think it was uh had a lot of smart improvements and additions from the first game uh, it does seem to have a lot of that Hollow Knight type DNA, even though the developers have gone on saying that a lot of the things that they implemented in Ori 2, they wanted to do in Ori 1. Like They always had ideas about giving Ori like a weapon to use, but they never implemented it in the first game. So when they see the second game, it's like, oh, this is borrowed from Hollow Knight. It's like, well, kind of. I think they arrived at the same place from two different routes. Uh, but the, it was very snappy. I loved controlling uh ori like he, the movement feels super fluid all the traversal abilities that you unlock feel like really nice it doesn't feel floaty it doesn't feel like too slippery it's, it feels a lot more snappy than the first game like more responsive yeah, like it just felt good to like do that dash ability and then like mm -hmm. latch on to that to like a post and like you kind of like see like the momentum shift back as he kind of like slings past it for a small fraction and then go and then like retract. Does that make sense? Like it feels yeah. like the movement feels natural. And then like when you're doing that little spin, when you jump and you see like the momentum carry you just slightly up and slightly forward, it just feels really good. And then like, it feels like I never felt like whenever I like took a lot of damage or died or, or failed an escape sequence that the controls were to blame. It was always like, Oh, no. I should do this. I should, I should do this movement instead. And then it, was, it always felt kind of good. Like I never did any like severe sequence breaking, but I did do a little bit. Like when I would like jump and then I would swing up with the hammer to give myself a little bit more. That's um, what I did too. You know. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And then like, I'm, I'm not sure I should be here yet. Then I would just backtrack and go the way I was in, intended to go. And I've already seen some people like theorycraft some pretty severe sequence breaking, but that, what that kind of brings into topic the, some of the, the the game has a few like technical hiccups i played it on pc so i think i brute forced my way through some of them but i i'm hearing like some horror stories about xbox about how 
they can't even boot up their consoles right away after a crash and things like that. Ooh. It's some pretty terrible stuff. Or like they're playing on the One X, which is a pretty you know powerful console, uh, I think. But they're getting yeah. like 28 frames per second and like standing by a shrine at the Glade. And I'm just like, Ugh. and then like ah, I, I, so I guess someone's someone's game I saw crashed as soon as they defeated a boss, but before like the checkpoint kicked in, so now they're like stuck because they're stuck in the boss room or something like that. Oh wow! Like it's basically I didn't encounter any of that luckily because I think just my computer just brute forced my way through it. But hopefully that's something that gets um, ironed out because I really do think it's a kind of a, a hallmark game for a Microsoft you know first party IP. Uh, and it's 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 if you liked Hollow Knight, you'll like this. I guess I'll put it that way. Whether or not the the borrowed ideas were intentional or not, um, it took me about fifteen hours and never overstayed its welcome. I liked it a lot. Can it's I just a, say, yeah, that I can't believe that for the second week in a row I'm having to hear how good the Ori sequel is. <laughs> it's pretty this, good. It's, it's on purpose now. Come on, guys. <laughs> you'll enjoy it eventually. 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 To, to, to be continued on this cast. So, uh, uh, James, what else have you been playing? Here that you, uh, I was gonna, that's all I've really been playing. I guess one okay. thing that I also marked down here is that uh, coming out uh, just today or yesterday on the PC version of Iceborne, yes, I'm talking about Monster Hunter on the cast again, even though I haven't played it, is that that Safi Jiva like raid fight siege fight is coming to pc like this weekend so i'm looking forward to that so i'll probably maybe talk about it next weekend because i didn't really like cold teroth but i hear safi jiva improves on the on the idea i need so. to get back to iceborne pc soon like i remember i got to the i unlocked the guiding lands right before i went on vacation back in uh late january and then like after that vacation like i kind of stopped because there were other things that popped up um but I, w I wonder if the state of the game where I am now will allow me to play that Sapajiva fight that's without. One interesting is that uh, Capcom has now, Capcom has now like put out a few like free play weeks or demos or, or periods, and I'm, I'm not sure the details of which consoles and what period. Like, you know, is it weekends or is it week long? But it's just interesting because we're at the point now where it's like, how long? Because they could probably update this game for a long time. I don't think it really has that limited of a shelf life. Are we going to be talking about Iceborne updates in six months longer? Uh, in, it's at that point where I don't know if we really have a good precedent for that. I'm, but I'm, I'm kind of new to the Monster Hunter series, so I'm not sure if that's mm -hmm. typical or not. It's um, in the past, before Monster Hunter World, usually the DLC quests that would add quote-unquote new monsters were already on the uh, 3ds cartridge or the wii disc or stuff like that so i'd actually say that it's definitely unprecedented and it's actually interesting seeing how different the support seems to be compared to base game monster hunter world like it definitely feels like they're in it they're in it for the long haul of iceborne i think at the right. moment i'm not sure i'm not sure if it's only japan but i know that monster hunter world base the base game uh, is now like one of the PlayStation Plus games, I believe. In Japan, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if they've announced anything for the Western side, but at least in Japan at the moment, which is a good, damn good deal. You'll get a lot of hours if you've never played it before. You'll get a lot because, of hours out of it. Yeah, in in the post game of the original base launch before Iceborne, it just kind of felt like 
here's a multiplayer co-op game and here's some you know here's some uh free dlc and it has an expansion like that's pretty typical but now it seems like we're really transitioned into full game as a service mode especially if there's not well, there's a lot of ways whether it's through long trials or through PlayStation plus in certain regions to play the game for free and then if you want to get the added stuff you you, you, you pay up for iceborne which you kind of see for a lot of like, <clears throat> games like like destiny where you, you play the game for free but then you can pay for additional uh um like services same with a lot of free-to-play mmos and things like that so it's definitely transitioned into kind of that service style game but and I, it's got its hooks in me. I guess that's why I keep talking about it. But Safi Jiva, yep. I guess I'll let you know how it goes uh, next week. Yep. I'll open the floor. Who's been playing Doom? Not me. I, I have. I want to, but I haven't oh, Also, right, Doom. James. All right, I'll, I'll hand it off to James. Uh, how do you feel about Doom Eternal? It's interesting. They have uh, definitely felt like they can go a bit more goofy with this one, I feel like. Like, there's a lot more colors like i remember one of my biggest complaints about doom 2016 was that you didn't really see that much variation in the environments especially near the end um but with this one you start off and it's like yeah you have a hellscape on earth but then you go to stuff like this arctic like base type of thing and then also there's this like greenery area it's like super interesting just how different each of the levels are so far i'm still pretty early on i'm only like three levels in but already that's a lot more variation i'd say than 2016 had and the demon designs are a bit more goofy some of the things that doom guy does is a lot more goofy the story is there but it's obviously not taking itself seriously it's super super camp in a great i think it's way. interesting that it's like it's like it's following up off of uh the ending of doom 64 in it yeah that's crazy uh, i was watching uh and talking to the, a buddy of mine who's uh, streaming a bit of doom eternal and like uh, the the things that we were talking about uh, the, i won't get into the story stuff like how it follows up from doom 64 there, there's a whole romp to it uh even with like doom guy having like some ptsd over demons and whatnot um was one that the pickups are a lot more colorful they're a lot more uh like uh i guess more obviously color coded, so it feels like there's like rainbow pickups coming out of like monsters, which is helpful because you could when you're in like fights in this game, you really need that instant feedback. Like, what am I picking up? What do I need to pick up? Is it worth it's it to like, like go over there? Yeah, and and the second thing that we we were talking about is like the, the enemy density density in Doom Eternal feels like a big step up from uh, 2016. Like, there's just a lot more enemies together. And like and and the variety of enemies that like their their configurations and whatnot is a lot more um, varied up from 2016. Like it really forces you to like think about how which targets you should go for first, even more so than the yeah um, first game. It 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 seems like the, the general consensus like it is a significantly harder game than uh, 2016. Yeah, I've definitely I've noticed a lot that. of people. I, I feel like with different opinions about the Marauder enemy. I don't know if James or George have fought in one yet. I don't think I've gotten to it yet. But I will say about um, Doom Eternal is that it definitely feels like... Okay, so 2016, it didn't feel super, super gamey. Like, it was obviously arcade action with, like, the arenas for, like, killing demons. But this one, it definitely seems that uh, id Software was like, okay, we know what people liked about Doom 2016, and that's because it was basically just doom 
and they've doubled down on it and it feels very much like an original doom but it's like it's like it's adding on to things from 2016 but also certain aspects like the level design and also even like the secret design and the enemy design is more akin to stuff in the original dooms and it's like really fascinating so in terms of like the pace of the game uh i have seen two different people from two different places call doom eternal the bayonetta of first person shooters does that seem apt I don't know what that even means. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm struggling to. <laughs> uh, I, I guess I, what the, what they're they're talking about. I, if I have to ga- gather, I guess is like the, the big one of the big big new mobility additions in Eternal is like giving Doom Doom guy a dash and a double dash. So like in a way, it's also like an anime fighter, also because you do air dashes in the game as well. And and there's a lot of like platforming sections that that I've seen in it as well. And it's uh, I guess that's where they're going with the bayonetta thing, but I, that's. That's the immediate thing that when I tune into someone to, uh, playing Doom uh, Eternal is that they abuse the ever-loving shit about a, about that new dash mechanic because it seems necessary uh, to, to really get around fast in this game. Like you need to never stop moving, always think about what you're going to take out next. I completely agree with that. The dash, I didn't realize that it would, but I've been getting hit a lot more in combat because I haven't been using the dash. Because I'm used yeah. to how it was in the first game, but the dash is the dash and the platforming. I am really enjoying. I think the platforming might put off a few people, though. Yeah, I will agree with that. A lot more than you might think. Yeah, the platforming sections are great, and it really makes the exploring for secrets a lot more engaging. But if if you're a person that liked Doom 2016 for a very specific reason which was no-nonsense, first-person shooter, classic Doom stuff. Like, even though many aspects of Eternal are returning even closer to that classic Doom style and whatnot, the platforming is very obviously something different, and it's not going to gel with everyone. I Mm. think it's great, but I also can understand that not everyone's going to feel that way. The original classic Dooms had some tiny bits of platforming, like jumping... Obviously, a very much more simple game, but like a little, well, a, couple, a couple places where you can definitely jump. not to the same. Ex- it's definitely not to the same extent. Like we're talking about like platforming gauntlets, where the game wants you to time your double jumps and dashes into poles that you use to propel yourself forward into walls that you climb onto to climb, then jump between other walls while you're dodging these flames and all of that sort of stuff. Well, in the you original see... game, you couldn't jump, right? You could. You could. There was. There were some places where they kind of worked around it where you just had to sprint like over a gap but i don't think you could actually yeah that's what yeah, I'm that, that wasn't a jump was a but yeah it did it did have very limited sense of platform as much platforming as you could have without the ability <clears> to <throat> jump but i can't believe that josh is telling me that if i want to understand this game i gotta play doom 64 first i wasn't planning on that <laughs> you're telling me doom 2 yeah. doom 2016 isn't enough I mean, you can get some of it, but uh, but I'm hearing that the Doom Eternal is where it starts off is where Doom 64 leaves off. Yeah, I'm being a little <laughs> cheeky because I don't I don't yeah. care too much about story, but at the same time, I do hear that Eternal does go a little bit further in terms of cinematics. If I remember right, everything in Doom 2016 is first person, just kind of like uh, yes. In, in the, the know, this was actually an interesting like that, design decision they did. Uh, yeah because they got the feedback for 2016 it's like there are people just very understandable there are people who want to play doom only for the gameplay they don't care about why the fuck they're there okay 
Uh, they just want to get in, shoot demons, which is, you know, that's fucking doom. Uh, but you know, so to, to work around that, they actually like have more so, like actual cinematics to play out in Eternal that like you can just skip and that, and then just get right back to the action. That's uh, definitely included there for people who just want to go. Okay, you know what? It went to a scene. Skip. Continue. Continue going. Yep. Uh, That's something so, I yeah. hadn't heard. I heard, I heard. I heard some people complaining about the cinematics, but now that you told me you can just skip them, I'm like, oh, okay, problem solved. Yeah. Um, I, I think the what, my biggest takeaway from the Doom Eternal platforming is I love the animation that they use uh, for when Doom Guy like gets onto a wall and starts climbing. He just he just there on all fours on that on that wall, climbing it up like some sort of ape. It's great. Yeah. Yeah, it's, awesome. that's what I noticed. It's like, man, he's really getting into it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, Doom Eternal is pretty great. Um, I've also been playing more Neo 2. I talked a bit about it last week, but uh, obviously I was very early on. I think I was still in the first region, or maybe it started the second region. I'm not sure. I think it was still the first region. Well, I uh, I finished it now, and I have to agree with uh, Lucas's review. Uh better than the first game it's more of an iteration than an evolution but um i really enjoy the uh pretty much almost everything's like a stark upgrade over the first game like i feel like i feel like the level design is consistently better though there's only like a few specific standout levels i'd say are like actually fantastic Mm -hmm. and most of those are actually later on Mm -hmm. but um boss fights are a significant improvement especially compared to the first game like the first game's boss fights were all right but i don't really remember any of them because none of them were standout whereas some of the boss fights in uh, neo 2 i'd say are actually up there with some like FromSoft's best boss fights wow. which is yeah like um put it another way they do reuse some of the bosses for a boss rush at the end of the game which neo 1 did that honestly not a big deal but i actually was looking forward to um refighting some of those bosses during that boss rush just because all of them are so creative and i think a big reason for that is the new dark realm mechanic which may- both helps the level design because now there's portions of the level where you have to be especially cautious because the uh, yokai you're fighting in the- that realm are powered up you regain key at a lower rate and then it's forcing you to look for who you need to be to dispel that well in boss fights once you get a a boss well a yokai boss's uh key rate down to zero they'll go into that dark state which buffs your yokai abilities of course but it also means that they get new abilities they get stronger and it's a nice back and forth because it means that the fights feel a lot more dynamic mm-hmm. and it means that you always well, throughout the whole fight, you're never quite sure what they're going to do because there's a chance that they're going to have new attacks that you hadn't seen earlier. And just the enemy designs in general for the bosses are way better. Like, um, yeah, it's it's just significant improvements, uh, even uh, if to, not. Uh, yeah. Just assure me, because I uh, th- there's one memorable boss fight in Neo 1 and it's memorable for the wrong reasons. Is because I got stuck on there for the longest time, and I hated the whole arena to it. It was that, like, l- like liquid water slime monster. You're like on this wooden raft, and you're trying to like hit it, but it's like off there. Oh and yeah, there, I remember that. There was one. a significant chance to like you know fall off, and like I oh, I remember that. And yeah, lasers at you. Yeah. Yes, and I fucking 
hated that. Please tell me in Neo 2 there is nothing like that. There's nothing like that. The worst there is, is there's a boss that can leave some pools of fire that you can get um, walk into if you're not careful. Okay. But that's the worst of it. And even then, you can get better at it. I'd say that, like, there's no boss in Neo 2 that I'd say is bad. The worst of the bunch is, like, human bosses, which I'd say might be a little bit underwhelming. But even most of the human bosses are more interesting than the ones in the Neo 1. Yeah, I actually like the human bosses when they're done creatively. Like Neo yeah. One's human bosses, are like ah, it's okay here and there, but uh, like I don't need every boss to be some big monster. It's like, oh my god, I'm gonna, I'm gonna beat this thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely enjoyed it. Uh, it's longer it's like than the first of... game, I'd say, and it's actually kind of interesting for its uh, story. Actually, like some people were saying, like, well, yeah. despite the fact that it's a create, you know, you create your own character. That doesn't mean like the story takes a back seat. I've heard a lot of people praising that it's actually really interesting and engaging, more so than the first game. I wouldn't say it's an amazing story, but it's definitely a stark improvement over the first games. And I feel like it's it's more character focused, which is ironic considering again it's a created character. But they do a really cool thing with your like dynamic between you and your partner Tokichiro, and then there is also like your own character's family history that ties into things. It's really, even if it's not necessarily deep, I'd say that it's really well done for what it is, and it's engaging, which that's all you really need. It, if a story's engaging, that's good. So, And I do want to take the moment to shout out that Lucas and George have been working like madmen, uh, putting up a bunch of different like how-tos and guides for Neo 2 including my favorite is a um a character creator like sharing page where george has put up a bunch of different like uh you talk about how you create your character where you can input i guess a code or a combination to basically share your model from from player to player and you've got you know like kratos from god of war and yeah uh, yeah i meant i mentioned that last week those are great like yeah uh, actually they put it yeah they put in a bunch more like uh harley quinn and uh like 2b and that's been a fun page, but also some serious pages, like some tips and tricks. So they, I just want to say, hey, you've been working like mad. I want to at least give you guys a shout out for all the guides that you put up for Neo 2. Yeah, it's been good fun. Thank you, Brian. I actually want to stress that the character creator is probably one of the best in games I've seen. Not necessarily just because of the options, which it does have plenty of options. And you can get really deep with the types of characters you create. But Team Ninja has done an excellent job at integrating those created characters into the rest of the game so like you have your character portraits like on the map like when you and another character are talking after a map after a level in the transition to another one unlocking on the map Mm. like i don't know how they did it but they basically take your created character's model put it in a pose including your armor and all that and make it into a 2d portrait that looks in line with all the other characters portraits (laughs) that's pretty good yeah, and it's super, and like the lighting in the cutscenes and the animations, it's like, honestly, it's one of the most impressive uses of created characters in game that I've seen. It's really, really impressive how well they've managed to integrate um, your created characters with the rest of the characters in the game and make them not feel out of place. Honestly, I'd say that, um, God, um, yeah, honestly, I'd say that like halfway through the game, I'd be forgetting that I was playing a created character just because of how well integrated it was with everything. 
I want to find time to pick up that game and play it. It sounds so good. It's kind of interesting how there always seems to be like a game where like every year that has like the best character creator. Almost like that should be a category. Like a few years ago, it would have been um, uh, Black Desert, Crimson Desert Online. Which one's the first one? Black Desert Online. Uh, I think Black then, Desert. Crimson uh, well, Desert I mean, is yeah, the Crim- new game. That... And then unfortunately, was, uh, Code Vein. And then this year, Neo, Neo 2. Unfortunately, if we're counting Fantasy Star Online 2, that one has to win over Neo 2. Oh, you think so? Fantasy Star's it, pretty good. <laughs> Fantasy Star Online 2's character creator is crazy in depth. Crazy in depth. It's, yeah. And it's Which kind of, it's, it's, something it's, is because it's, it's not 2012, like, 2013 <laughs> release. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was thinking, like, I remember, again, Monster Hunter. Uh, yeah. It has almost, it has a decent character creator, but I remember some people being upset or not upset, frustrated, where they create a character, but then the lighting and the character creator was different from that in like the actual cinematics. So I, I remember when that game first launched, people would have to like retool their character because they, they thought they had it to a place where they liked how it looked. And then you get the first cutscenes, and they, it no longer looks the same. Yeah. And that's exactly what I was talking about with the Neo two thing where it doesn't have that problem. If anything, your character looks better in cutscenes than it does in the character creator, just because it, I don't know how they did it. They just like obviously spent a lot of work making sure that anyone's created character would look good in cutscenes, and it's like, man, that would have been something great for a GDC talk. Oh, I'm looking forward to playing through Neo Two as a uh, handsome Squidward, thanks to George's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that one's incredible, though. And look amazing. Yeah. All right, Adam, you haven't had a, a chance to really share what you've been playing. So you haven't been doing Animal Crossing or Doom or Neo. So what have you been looking at? Or Ori. Well, or Ori. I've, there's actually several different games I could talk about, but I don't want to talk about all of them because that would just take forever. Um, but one I'll talk about, just because I had a chance to write up something about it, was Wasteland 3. <clears throat> so Wasteland 3 is a series... Wasteland in general is a computer RPG series that was actually... Like the original Wasteland was a precursor and inspiration for the original Fallout. So we're talking about an old game. I think the original Wasteland was like 1998. It's old. That sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And then they came out with a Wasteland 2 in Exile, who was run by Brian Fargo, who was the, uh, who's been in the the business for like a long time, 35 years or whatever. Um, Came out in 2015 or so. But I hadn't, I didn't play it. And then they were coming out with Wasteland 3 this year. And it's not quite um, Microsoft first party because it's coming out on Steam and PS4 because they announced it before um, it's in the, the same acquisition. weird place as Outer Worlds was. Yes. But it feels like it has a much higher budget. I don't know if Microsoft is um, budgeting it in a way. But in any case, so. I had I had the chance to play the the beta preview, which is actually the same preview that backers are getting to play because it is a Kickstarter game, and it's coming. The game is coming out in May. Is it a Kickstarter um, game or Fig? Kickstarter, I think. I'm just double checking. <laughs> yeah. Um, someone check on that as I talk. But the so I had a chance to play an early version of it, and I didn't really know what to expect too much. I had played a couple of computer RPGs. I wasn't I'm not really in love with the aesthetic that Wasteland has. It's like grungy, post-apocalyptic, kind of like Fallout, 
but it also feels like it's partially serious but partially goofy like i think the e3 trailer last year had some sort of like 1849 or prospecting type character like with a southern drawl like with some really wacky trailer and to be honest it kind of sucked and i didn't really know what to expect playing this preview and i'll just say the very first thing that kind of stood out to me was that this game is much much more tactical than i expected and i don't really know what i expected um but you're thrown into a okay so now how do i start this so you're basically your your characters are from a squad that's from arizona in a post-apocalyptic world and you're going to Colorado because there's resources there that you want to send back home. But on the way there, you get ambushed by by thugs, by rogues, by guerrilla, like people who are just going to kill you and steal your shit. And you're, you're uh, immediately thrown into like a tactical grid sort of formation. And you're, you start to see like percentages about character unit heads and it like, oh, this actually kind of looks like XCOM or something now. And so it's a much, much more tactical game than I expected it to be. And your characters, like you expect in this sort of game, you have, a, so far, your characters can move on this grid and they can shoot from a certain distance away. And being, you know, a modern era game or set in the modern era, everyone has like range attacks. So unlike Final Fantasy Tactics or something, uh, you you're have to be very careful to consider things like line of sight, distance, and things like that, ammunition. And so that part of the game, I actually really dug because i'm a i'm a big fan of tactical games and i didn't get to play a lot of that but from what i what i saw there was cool but the tone of the game it's making me it's making it really hard for me to to continue putting more time into it and i'm not sure if i want to pick up the full release what kind of like, tone are we talking about it's a weird mix between like super serious super edgy and super goofy like all at once Ooh. and it's is it so like is it like in, in line with those weird trailers that they've been putting out for this game? Like yeah, the... that, that's that, that's why I brought that up. So like for example, in one of the earlier like in the first part of the game, you're getting a bunch of tutorials like you know like you would expect, but one of the one of the tutorial screens like warned me of an enemy robot that I had to avoid. But of course, it it couldn't just tell me that I had to avoid it. It was like hey. You, you see that big ass robot over there? You want to avoid that shit because it's going to fuck you up. You're going to oh. get wrecked. And I'm just like, oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's, it's a, like, there's there's some of that. It's like a and Borderlands then, thing. <laughs> yeah. And then like in one of the, in like the very first boss encounter, if you will, the, the, the enemy that you've been sort of pursuing gets killed. And like the bad guy, like grunts that are still there, like they done killed. I forget his name, Jarrett, in some southern hillbilly type of accent. And it just, yeah. And I'm, I don't know. I'm with you. Like, I kind of <laughs> wanted to be interested in this game because I like the style of game, but nothing about what they presented. Like, it almost, this is going to sound way too, like, overblown, but it almost, like, makes me wretch. I'm, I'm yeah. being, like, you know, hyperbolic, but it's just like, uh, I don't, that just seems like the last thing I want to play is something with yeah it's just kind of a weird thing because like you're, you're you're at odds of like what's actually being presented in front of you and that's just it, it could really take me out of a game like if you're if you're really pushing it to that extent i, I also double checked earlier for you adam it, it was on big uh, oh, okay yeah it reached about 3.1 million out of its 0.75 million goal 
on that so uh, back it's got a, so it's got a, a good foundation of people who are excited about it so i don't want to like poo poo on it too much because three million is a lot for kickstarter that's more than like the but I, I wonder i wonder if like this is what like wasteland like like loyal I, fans want like i don't know if they're well, i actually mentioned in, i actually mentioned in my written preview maybe this is normal and typical for wasteland i wouldn't know i haven't played it and someone did comment on my article that yeah that that sort of camp uh, uh, that sort of tone is that wackiness is pretty typical to Wasteland. So people who like this series probably knew to expect it or at least be aware of it. Hmm. And it's it's not just that, but it's also brutal in places too. Like the type of thing where you're talking to a character, it's you know you're talking to them eye to eye, so you see their model, and then they get blown up, and it blood splatters on the screen, if you will. So it's it's brutal in a way too. So it's like this mix between gory and edgy and goofy in times and i just don't know if i can reconcile that it's, that's, it's, that, that's kind of a weird thing because that, like when i think about like that kind of like balance like i think to a series like desperados and that's a series that i did do like that has just a tiny bit of that camp but i don't remember it being like super overblown that uh, in how you're describing it yeah that said um after you get through the past the tutorial section which is a couple of like tactical grid battles I should actually maybe step back a second here. So this is a computer RPG through and through in that you you create a character. There are a couple of presets you can set. Um, but one thing that's a little bit different is that you create two characters instead of one okay. as like your primary. You, you create a duo. And your preset options, you can have like a some of the preset options that are available. You can have like a pair of lovers. You can have a father and daughter a mentor and student sort of uh, character, uh, sort of pair. I actually ended up picking the father-daughter pair. The daughter is like a sniper with mechanical skills, and the father is a kind of a, a silent physical attacker type, like up close and personal sort of attacker. And so, in the tutorial section, what you expect, I had my, I had the daughter character kind of stay back and snipe people from afar, where the the the, the dad would go get a get up close to kind of. First of all, be a distraction, but also he could take some hits and do some damage on his own up close. But of course, he's more vulnerable that way. Um, so once you get past the tutorial section with these two characters, you're brought into a base. And this base is run by a character called the Patriarch. And he's sort of this old buff guy who's apparently been the boss for this in this region for 50 years. So that kind of tells you he's been around. Um, and he's he's portrayed as this competent uh character he's not the most easiest person to get along with um but he's your he's in terms of the story he's your lifeline so you kind of have to at least uh put up a good face but he what he does when what the game does here at this point is he, they set you up with a base it's it's almost an empty base and supposedly you feel you're you're eventually going to find like a doctor a mechanic and various other things that can upgrade your base so that's one component of this game and I barely got to really touch a lot of that because it was only a short demo preview. Uh, but then at that point, you also get to you also get to fill out your squad, and they give you, I believe you can do created characters here as well. But they give you like twelve to eighteen to twenty different characters you can pick wow. to, to fill out your squad. So there's a lot you can choose from, and this is where the RPG elements of this game actually do seem really solid. So that's, I, that's I, this is something I really did like, despite things like the tone of the game not being so much, so, so much of a fan of. 
And it's not just like the tactical combat that you had just gone through the tutorial for, but like like a lot of Western style RPGs, there's lots of skills for like computer skills, mechanical skills, armor crafting skills, weapon crafting skills, uh, persuasion, talking, dialogue type skills, and things like that. And the way the game works is so you're forming your squad, and you have to you have to take into account not only your combat skills, but all these different other skills that will come into play in things like quests and building your team and building your squad and your your the, your equipment and your ammunition and your weapons and everything. And the way the game works is it sort of combines all these skills together. So you generally want to build a balanced team where you want to have like the daughter character that I had picked at early on was really good mechanics sort of skills. So I probably didn't need to pick another character with mechanic capabilities, but I want to pick a character with maybe computer capabilities or someone more persuasive and dialogue. That way, when I'm doing quests and things, you have someone who can talk to those requirements and maybe get your way around quests, not just combat, but just like any RPG uh, in this style, there's various checks and rolls that the higher your skills are, the better chance you have at persuading or at succeeding at these things. So the demo at this point, after you're introduced to your base, you go into Colorado Springs, and this is sort of your RPG starting town. And here, I like what I saw here too. A lot of some early early game sort of quests. For example, there is a quest where there's a, a set of character, a set of NPCs that were being tried for like severe vandalism, and they were actually being put to death. And there's a kid, like a teenager, who's been grouped in with that group that her mother is hysteric, who wants, you know, he doesn't, she doesn't want her, her son to die. And so she tells you that he was just kind of in with the wrong crowd or whatnot. And you were brought into like your normal, what you might expect for RPG here, an RPG here in terms of what you can do. You can uh, perform for the marshals. You can do like a, 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 what's the word, an errand for them to kind of get on their good side and maybe let the kid go. You can bribe them your, your way out. You can persuade uh, your way out and save him, or you can just not do anything. There is another quest where a, a, a shop has been taken over by raiders and you can kill, you can go in there and just shoot their way out or persuade them. Um, and then the largest quest that I saw early on in this section was there is a group of these raiders outside of town and they're in a settlement. And you meet a, a character who's from that settlement who's basically begging for help. And you, the marshals in this area don't have the manpower to go there. So you basically go there for them and you bring along this character with you or you don't have to. And then when you get there, you learn that these raiders have basically recruited these area youths and these area youths actually did some murder and killing of their own because they kind of felt like they had to or else they would be killed. And so at this point, you learn that this character's family, this character that you bring along, her name is Julia, that her family was actually killed by basically her childhood friends. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, because they, they were kind of put up to it in oh. a way. Mm -hmm. And then at this point, you have like three main options. You can either let her get revenge and basically kill them. You can take them into custody or you can let them go. And all, another thing that comes into play here is a faction system. So the patriarch, his faction are the marshals. So very based on what you do on quests, you might affect your, your faction with them. And that might affect your options and quests uh, going forward. This outlying town is, I guess, what they call it is like the 100 families. And so these are like 100 families in Colorado Springs that I guess have 
some sort of power or prestige in the area. And you can either kind of butter up to them or not. And of course, if you kill them, you're going to lose, lose faction with them. And then there's other, there's other factions that come into play later, I assume. So what I saw here with these quests, with the faction system, with the squad building, and the, 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 choice, the choices that I did see in this starting town, I liked it a lot. And unfortunately, it's hard to say within such a short demo how, how much meaning there is between the choices I made, because I don't really get to see a whole lot right. of long You don't have, you don't have the time it. to see the tail of it, right? Right. So like that part is like, this is actually cool and interesting. This feels like a true blue RPG that I would like to play. But there's just but so many of the tonal things. People say like, yeah, oh, yeah. They, they done killed Jimmy. <laughs> yeah. when, 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 they're presenting, when they're presenting all these like heavy hitting things that you're describing, are they actually, is that, are they kind of towing the line between goofy at that part or when they're actually serious, they can actually commit to it? They're pretty serious, but you can pick some like options in your dialogue that aren't super, that aren't quite so serious. I mean, maybe kind of like Baldur's Gate or maybe like Renegade Mass Effect where you can be almost cartoonishly evil if you want. Um, it's hard to say, like there are moments where I feel like the game is serious enough. I don't want the, I don't want things to be like super serious all the time. You know, levity is good. Right. But it's just that, that weird tonal oddity that I mentioned before, it just pops up here and there. And it's just like, I don't know how, how pervasive this is. It might be exceptionally bad in the tutorial and maybe by the time things get rolling, maybe it tones down a bit, but I, I had to, I have to judge by what I saw. And, you know. Everything you've like, described in like the back half here has been like, man, I want to play that game. But then I look at the trailers yeah. and I'm like, I don't want to play this. <laughs> so it's kind of weird, like. <laughs> It's like I just gotta like grit your teeth and go in it and see if you actually like latch on to something that you think is really cool or interesting or engaging. But I, I, I wonder is this coming? Yeah. Is this coming to Game Pass? No, I don't. I'm pretty sure it's not. It is a. Uh, it is coming to PC and consoles all at once. Um, but it looks to be just a full normal release. I think it should be on Game Pass if it's following the same like oh, Outer Worlds was on Game Pass day one. Uh, my, it's a it's a thing where Microsoft says like all of their games are going to be, but how much is this a Microsoft game? Because it's in the same boat as Outer Worlds. I mean, it's. I think it is. Uh, I guess we should be sure mm. here. If you want to look that up, uh, while we move on to the well, last let me maybe do a final about. thought. Okay. <laughs> I guess my final thought is this is this is this is a true blue like computer RPG, and what I mean by that is. There are a lot of decisions to make when you're like when you get your squad and you see your base and you're and then they basically the game basically throws at you like all right you gotta fill out your squad and you're, you're getting now you're starting to get your level ups you gotta figure out what skills and perks and I, I didn't even talk about perks you know I, I do I do want to mention that yes it is coming to Xbox Game Pass on oh, the same okay day. okay oh, that's cool too. so my mistake there but what I'm getting at the last thing I want to say is this game does require a lot of decision making. And so it was actually a little bit overwhelming at a time when they started dumping all this all this control on me. I was like, oh man, I don't want to fuck this up. And for people who really like RPGs like this, and basically you're crafting your team as you go, that's that's probably really cool to hear. Uh, but it, that is it is that sort of game. It doesn't it. There is a small tutorial section, but after that, it basically gives you full reign on how you want to build your team. So I, it's I'm still not sure if I want to play the full release. Just. Mm. <laughs> I, I really like some things, but not so much other things, and I'll leave it at that. 
it's interesting though because it's not often that you see the uh, game where it's like certain components of it you really jive with and certain components of it you feel the exact opposite of, of to have just certain fragments be so polarized but i think i'm in the same boat where it's like i really hope that i can get through that hurdle of just gritting my teeth and getting getting into the meat of the game because I, I do think i want to play it it's just that i don't know if that'll be day one or not but hey if it's on game pass why not just boot it up and see how i feel All right, so everyone's given a little bit about what they've done this week, except for Josh. And you've tried a few different things this week. I'll, I'll yeah. I'll talk about first. So besides Animal Crossing, um, I that, that demo for that uh, Trials of Mana remake came out uh, for Ooh. PS4, Switch, and Steam. So I really wanted to try out that game since I love Seiken Densetsu 3. Uh, I first tried it out on PS4 Pro because it came out a little earlier, uh, like in the Hong Kong and Singapore stores uh, before it reached the U.S. So in that one, I picked Reese uh, as my main character with Hawkeye as my second character. You can have a third character in there, but it always has to be Charlotte if you want a third playable character because the demo only goes up to the first like quote-unquote real boss uh to the full metal hugger i think it was called uh where you get the yep. first wisp um so it's fair it's fairly short you can get it done like in about a little over an hour uh depending on how much you main life uh do it you can play uh each care each of the six characters uh prologue and then after the prologue they all converge into the same thing where they go through a through a cavern and then you get to this uh town where you kind of get a like your overall goal in the main game from from this like uh, sage prophet dude i forgot his name then you go back into that uh cave where you went to get the first wisp and then shortly after that um yeah the, the demo ends so you, you kind of get uh you know a feel for the game the the thing the two things that i noticed when i played this on ps4 pro uh, with reese was one i forgot how I don't know if it's badly told, but how badly presented Reese's prologue was uh, in Sick and Setsu 3 in general, because now that you actually have like full-blown cutscenes of like how these events unfold, like in the original uh, game, uh, the whole crux of uh, Reese's prologue was how her um, kingdom kind of got invaded and taken over, like right under her feet, and her brother gets kidnapped. But the way it's presented in, in this remake is like you're trying to look for your uh, Reese's brother. He gets duped by uh, this the spy into uh, deactivating the windstone, uh, protecting their kingdom. So that happens, and then you 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 uh, kind of see this unfold, and Reese shows up, and then uh, just through the way it's presented, uh, the the flow of events is literally Reese uh, meets up with her brother right as he deact gets duped into de deactivating the windstone. Like he gets like bullied by the spy to like do it, and then uh, the spy tells Reese like you have like should you be um, wasting time around here? Like the the windstone is gone. Our army is invading. You should probably go see how the king is doing. So what literally happens is Reese starts running away like. From the brother, without looking back, as her brother gets kidnapped right behind her because she didn't look back, thinking that her brother was following her. Just right behind her, too. Yeah. 
I was like, so this is one of those things. I, I mean, obviously it's not going to be the same because it's a full remake, but I mentioned this in the podcast last week, the original game, which I also finished this week. So many things in that game in terms of like it's storytelling are so quick. Yeah. I, I use the word, I use the word efficient and lean, but it, it is kind of awkward in places if you're used to modern video game storytelling because like moments of drama or like intrigue or something that's super serious that's happening come and go so quickly. Like li- literally this is, uh, I'll, I'll be vague so not to spoil anything, even though there's not a whole lot to spoil, but like you, you can, you'll save a character and they'll be like, wow, thank you for saving me. You were such a good friend. However, I heard of this sort of thing. You should maybe check it out later. And it, it's, it's, it's so old fashioned in that way. That's and how, nice. yeah, it, it's very quick to the point, to the point. I think that's the best way to put it. Like everyone does not waste a cent of breath. They just are so to the point in the original game. And I wonder, I don't expect the remake to be exactly like that, but I wonder how much like that it's going to be and yeah. how people will respond to that. And maybe I just, what I you're just mentioning, totally <laughs> yeah, maybe what you're mentioning isn't quite fully that and maybe its own thing in the way like the the cinematics are presented as well because those are of course brand new but in terms of the like the character interaction and the dialogue i wonder how much of that is going to basically be reflected in the remake and it's truly the original but it's if people are expecting something like final fantasy 7 remake out of this in mm-hmm. terms of new dialogue and character building and things like that it may not have that <laughs> no um, the, the second thing that jumped out to, to me on playing it on PS4 Pro was like there are frequent loading times and sometimes they can get pretty lengthy like when you're going to like an actual zone where you can like really explore it and fight it like we're talking about like close to 20 second loading screens here um, which has kind of surprised me it's like this is kind of odd for PS4 Pro in general but I was playing it on Steam through my SSD it was much, much, much quicker, thankfully. So that that concerns me a little. But other than that, actually, like playing it and like moving around in it, uh, obviously, it's it's nothing like crazy different from the Super Nintendo version because the Super Nintendo version was uh, way ahead of its time, just being like a like almost an action RPG, just without like the the actual values in front of you. But you can still move around and freely like attack enemies, and it's still very much that you have a a dodge roll. Uh, you do have uh, like AO like markers on the ground now that says, "Hey, the, uh, they're about to use an attack that uh, fills up this zone." So like one of the enemies like throws an axe, so it'll like fill up like a red zone in front of it, like a, a long thin zone. It's like so, make sure to dodge out of the way uh, off of that. I was playing on hard for both of them. Hard mode doesn't seem that bad yet. I might I might do hard mode for the full release. Um, uh, app for my PC version. Which is the one I'll stick with. I chose Angela, Duran, and then eventually Kevin. I don't know how exactly how that's gonna go yet, but I want to play uh, a version of Second that Setsu Three that doesn't have magic freeze the game every two seconds. Uh, Adam and I were, were were talking about this maybe a few. Yeah, I mentioned that last week. Yeah, yeah. yeah like I, I, I mentioned, just to reiterate, that yeah. was literally the very first thing they said to me when they demoed it at E3. And this was like right after they announced it, right? Or the day after. I forget. It was announced at E3, right? Or was it short, announced uh, shortly before E3? Maybe shortly before E3. I, yeah, I think, I think they, it might have been 
I'm not too, I'm not too ten per, ten percent sure. Maybe it wasn't a Nintendo Direct, was it? They did. Uh, I remember the collection of mana got revealed at an e- Nintendo E3 thing. Uh, I'm not okay. sure about the. I'm not sure about the. Re- oh, I think. Uh, I, I think. I think it was our, shortly based after. Based on our RPG site history, it was announced at the E3 2019 Nintendo Direct. Really? Wow. Okay. I think what they yeah. did is they actually announced the. Um, so they announced the remake at a Square Enix's thing. There and then they announced the collection of mana after they no. showed a trailer for it on Switch at Nintendo's E3 thing. And then they said, hey, so we're also bringing the collection too. That's... Yeah, it was kind of a it was kind of a joint thing between the Nintendo event and the Square Enix event. Yeah, and anyways, so like that was the very because, first thing they said uh... to me. Well, sh- let me finish just before we got off topic. That was the very first thing they said to me was, by the way, Magic will not freeze the game. Like they knew <laughs> that they had to, they could not have that that way again. So I was just gonna say it was just weird because we went from not having a worldwide release of Second Destiny Three to having a localized original release in the collection to the remake this year. So now within a year, we have all of that. Um, and then the the demo was only announced just earlier this week, which has felt like a month or a year in its own right. But they did also re- release like they over the last few months, they've released these like character trailers, which I thought were really kind of silly and kind of bland. But they released like a combat overview trailer and they they just talk, they just released some information about how this remake will have a fourth tier of classes so all that information is new and up oh yeah website. yeah so, yeah the, they, they announced um, that there's any like new post-game content that like uh, uh like new story content that'll uh, that takes place after the main adventure and then in this story like in the original game they had um like this whole multi-class thing a system thing that was like a big hook of it because you had um like after your ba- first main class, you go to two, two main classes, and then those two main classes can go spec into either light or dark, I believe. Um, and then the, the, whether you choose light or dark, there, there are even more classes to, to you that are available. And then at the original game, there are like two like quote unquote like ultimate classes that uh, uh, pertain to either light or dark. And then in in this uh, remake, you can further upgrade them one more time, so there'll be a total like four new classes no i no, no, think you're a little bit wrong two new classes. so in the original game there's a there's basically a branch point where you go light or dark and then mm-hmm. another branch point where you go light or dark so basically you had four total end oh, game right. classes yeah. for each yeah. character so this is commonly denoted as like if you went light both times if you went like the light path both times you'd be like the light light class or if you went light then dark it was the light dark class or dark then light you were the dark light class yeah. which is different and then, or dark, dark. So the dark, dark class. That, that was the way that it was. That it's commonly referred to. So you had four classes. It seems like now there's only two ultimate classes. Like this fourth, they haven't really. They they did reveal what the classes were, but not a whole lot about them. Otherwise, they they basically said it has something to do with the post game. So the post game, you get these. You do something. We don't know what it is yet, and you get these new classes. Yeah, but an extra chapter. Apparently, there's two of them, not four and not eight. It's not like they branch again. But I guess maybe they just converge in some way. If you went dark, you could you get the dark one, or if you went light at one point, you get the light one. I don't know. Um, that's that's a slight oddity, but we'll see how it works. Yeah. So it, it's it's the the remix neat. I think uh, people should at least owe it to themselves to switch it to English because both English and Japanese voices are on it. So like you can play Japanese voices and it's fine and it's it's great. But switch it to English when you first meet Lumina, the first Wisp in it, because 
the English voice acting is fucking amazing for Lumina in it. It's great. Amazing, I, I like as, in, as, as I can't tell if you're being like amazing or amazing. It's you, know? you can judge for yourself when you when you see it either on YouTube if you if you don't want to go play oh, through it. It's uh, it it's good. It's good. Yeah. What a, what a, what a, what a, well, I, I haven't played the demo. I, I, I am really interested in this game, but I'll just, I figure I'll probably just wait for the That's full fine. release. Yeah. Um, I have heard some people kind of refer to it and it's, I can see the similarities, but like a slower paced East eight. I guess that's a, that's a, that's a, that is a way to put it. Yeah. Because it's still very early in the game, but it's not, it's not like as snappy as Adol's movement because, you know, Adol can go pretty freaking fast in, in modern East games. So yes, but it's, it's a little bit more deliberate and you're not really given as many options because you can't move, you can't switch to new classes. You don't have a full party unless you pick Charlotte. And then even then you only have a full party for like a, a fight or two. And it's, uh, if you're expecting East, like modern East combat out of this, it's not really that. Uh, it's not. But, it's not. It's not as fast. As yeah, good. yeah. It, it, it's it's very still early co- days as well in it. I I'm very interested to see how like late game combat uh, looks like in it. It's uh, now, yeah, it so a yeah. In the original game, just to kind of bounce off something you said, a lot of the character you you pick your three characters right away. Like that's literally yes. the very first thing you do is you pick which characters you want to have eventually. But at what point they join changes slightly. And I know a lot of characters, like Kevin, for instance, what happened in the story is right after you beat that first boss, you basically get thrown in jail. And a lot of characters will join you basically at that sequence. So that's why for this demo, depending on who you pick, oftentimes you might only get two because that third character you pick doesn't join until the very next event. So that's, yeah. that's how it was in the original. And in this one, it's like for the demo, like you get your second character uh, shortly after like, the the prologue uh after you kind of visit like the first town there's you have to go through this waterfall uh cavern but the in order to gain access to that water for uh cavern you have to go meet this uh fairy first that you that you follow through the forest at night and then um she has the power to dispel that barrier right before you dispel that barrier you meet your second party member it's like we should go venture together in it because we you have aligning goals to go meet this person in this town and then at that point after you go to that town to like uh, get a better sense of what you should be doing in the game, you go back to that cavern. Right before you go back to that cavern, it'll always be Charlotte, who uh, you meet in there. Right before you go back in there, and then whether at that point she'll join you depends on whether you chose her as uh, as a character you wanted to have in your party. Um, you know, at the beginning of the game. Yeah, that's that's another thing to mention is the characters you don't pick will still show up. Like as story characters for various things, they just don't join your party. Yeah, the you do. You reminded me also that this game uh, has a new feature which wasn't in the original. Um, it does the Octopath Traveler thing, where you meet a character and you have the option to play their prologue. It won't. It, it won't uh, have any progress tied to it, or like when you pick up items in it or whatnot. It's not really reflected. In uh, there, you're just playing through the prologue. Uh, just to see how they got to where they are. But if you choose not to do that, they'll at least still show a, a, a small vignette of like uh, uh, of what they've been through. Uh, and that's what the original game does. Yeah, that's what the original Always. game does. Not, not, the, not the prologue, not the playable uh, prologue, but when yeah. the character, they give a flashback. Yeah. Um, 
as this is like this is what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So that that's a that's a neat addition as well. If, if people want to experience it for themselves, uh, exactly the order of events to get the full story of a character, which is nice. Which is also, neat. also super important addition: little cactus who made an appearance <laughs> first in Legend of Mana. He's like a mascot, sort of. Um, he's not the rabbi mascot, but he's sort of a mascot. He'll make an appearance in this game. He wasn't in the original as a collectible. So there's like he's like in 50 different spots. And all we know is that by collecting him, you get some sort of benefit. We have no idea what it is. So collectible. Uh, also, I th- uh, one of my pet peeves in this uh, demo that I don't know if they're going to add to the full game or not at this point is there's no there's no button to like immediately get the camera back to like the the character's back. So like when you're moving the camera around, there's no like press like press R3 to like reset the camera. There's no way to reset the camera behind your character's back immediately in this game too. So that that's a weird omission that uh I wish it had. <laughs> um other than that, I've also been uh playing through the closed beta of this Genshin Impact game. It's the it's a new game by the developers Mihoyo. And they're uh, the company behind the mobile game uh, Honkai Impact Third, and that, that's like kind of a, like a, a gacha game that's very, very, very inspired by Bayonetta. Uh, it's a it's like a third-person character action game that has uh, basically the equivalent of Witch Time if you dodge the the right way uh, and whatnot. And it, it, like I played through a little bit of that or very early on in the year when they actually released a, a native PC client. For it, and it plays much, much better there. I can't even imagine like uh, how people play this on on phones. But it was it was fine for what it was. But uh, their whole uh, pitch from Genshin Impact from the get go, uh, just like they know what they're doing, and no one's fooling, uh, getting fooled by it. It's very uh, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild inspired. Uh, very you know same kind of aesthetic. Uh, same kind of like uh, general landmass and whatnot, and it's it, it's very obvious from the get go. But uh, I was I wasn't really uh, aware of how inspired it was going to be outside of its visuals. It's it also has like a, the same like stamina meter that uh, Link has in that game. Uh, like when you're climbing things in that world, it'll stop that stamina meter. Luckily, when it's like raining, it won't. It won't. You won't slip off. So maybe that's a, a plus. Yeah. I have a, uh, I have a couple questions about this. Uh, sure, sure. Uh, so uh, so yeah. I first heard about this game uh, like late last August, um, mm-hmm. and it was enough. I was interested enough that I wrote up like I gathered a lot of the media, put up on the site, and wrote up a bit about it. But at the time, there was questions about like, is this free to play? Is this going to be uh, a game as a service? Is it? Is it always multiplayer, or is there a single player mode? Like, has it have any of those details been made clear? Like, is it so free to play? How is, is it multiplayer only? I'm not exactly sure if it, if the final product is going to be free to play or not. Uh, it's it's still closed beta. I don't know exactly how they're going to shake up their or roll out their final monetization options yet. Uh, it's very similar to Honkai Impact the third, uh, in in the sense that you do get currency right now for the closed beta uh you do get currency by just like daily login rewards and they're very generous with that there you can get uh currency as well when you do quests there are gotcha banners in it to roll for 
uh, weapons, which, which you can still earn these weapons in game by crafting them. You can find them in chests. So that that's it's not like the the gacha um, restricts you from any of that. Um, you can also roll for new characters in it. There are characters that join you through the main story, and like from everything that I've seen in the main story so far, and there's only natural to assume that like it's a hundred percent beatable main story wise uh, with the characters that you earn because there will be like say uh, a puzzle that you need like a character that can use fire for. And uh, they'll they'll provide you that character. It's the, that that character joins you permanently, from what I understand, so far in the closed beta. You need to roll for a character to like progress. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. Does this game have English voice acting or no? Yes, it does. It has English voice acting in the closed oh, beta. There, there, there. I, I, I wasn't expecting it to be dubbed, but then I saw like some of the recent trailers were dubbed, and sometimes you, you occasionally you'll get those games where they dub the trailer but not the game. I was kind of mm-hmm. curious, like. I wasn't expecting it. Yeah, they they have. Uh, okay. Does it have Japanese voices or Chinese voices too? So or just it has in, in the closed beta. They have also Korean voices and Chinese voices. The Japanese voice option is grayed out on that. So because I was looking for it too, um, it does support controllers on uh, PC as well. I've been playing with my DualShock Four. That it's still it's still closed beta, so there's still wonky things about it. Like when I every time I boot up the game. It'll always default to keyboard, and I have to manually choose the controller option uh, before playing. And then there'll there'll be like weird things about the controller support, like you can't navigate menus with the D-pad. You always have to be using the analog stick to do that. No. And, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I mean, there there are still it's it still screws with me, um, but it's it's very uh, beyond visuals. Uh, on Breath of the Wild and whatnot, just like the general kind of flow to it when you're wandering the world, it feels very similar to Breath of the Wild. There are, there are, uh, you know, little nodes. They're not big towers like in Breath of the Wild to like uncover more of the map. There are there, there are like sh- like little nodes that you interact with to un- unveil that part of the map to see where you're going. Um, even on the map screen, where like in Breath of the Wild, when you're choosing like custom markers of where you want to go, like there there are different like markers. That you can choose from. It's like, oh, I want to depict that like, there's a monster here, or maybe there's a treasure chest there and whatnot. It has that stuff. Um, it's also like uh has like that piano track that uh when you're wandering the world. Like, you know, when you're when you're exploring Breath of the Wild, the the, the very memorable thing about it is like when you get into a counter, like you'll hear that familiar pi- piano track uh, uh as you're like invading an uh, enemy camp and whatnot. It still has that. Uh, feel it's also the same thing in Genshin Impact where there's a lot of like monster camps uh, that you can go uh, like invade and like there'll be a so it has a, it has the same sort of chest. has it has yeah, the same have, sort of music philosophy where yeah, like, same different little musical cues come into play not not little. not like most games where where like there's just different tracks for different areas but like different cues that the way Breath of the Wild does I don't know how to explain it but mm-hmm. you, we know what we're talking you know yeah. you know what we mean. It's the same sort of same sort of philosophy there. It feels like. Yeah, yeah. So de- definitely, definitely there. The you do go into enemy camps, and then there's a locked treasure chest. You have to clear out the enemies to get that treasure chest. There are like these cooking pots in the world, like on their campfires, where you can cook from. Um, and there's like a cooking mini game to it, where there's like a little bar. Uh, yes. that's like, hey, you, you, if you want to cook this uh thing perfectly, make sure to stop this uh ticker right there at that in that zone. Um, the, the, the big 
the the big like thing that uh separates us from breath of the wild is just um having characters travel with you and like being able to switch characters on the fly um so it's not so, as, it doesn't feel as lonely as breath of the wild so the, like yeah you know, that actually brings me up to my question mm -hmm. so uh how is the combat similar or different because breath of the wild had a really pretty simple like combat system you had like you know, a, a stamina system, a couple of different sword swipes, uh, and bows and bombs and things. Uh, but it was a relatively simple system. But how does like how does Genshin stack up? This, this one's pretty robust. So if you really wanted uh, RPG systems in Breath of the Wild, this is definitely your your game. So this game really emphasizes like elemental synergies because there's a lot of lot of like uh, status ailments you can uh, inflict on characters. So let's say for example. Um, I have this character. He, a dude that can, uh, have has ice spells, uh, with his sword, and his main magic ability is like, uh, like throwing out like a, a gust of snow, or whatnot, out from his sword, kind of like uh, Jin Kasaragi from Blaze Blue and whatnot. So, uh, when you normally uh, inflict that on an enemy, uh, it'll have inflict this vapor debuff on them. And then it's like, okay, they kind of, uh, you kind of do more damage when you do that. But uh, let's say I have this other character, her uh, Barbara. Her normal attacks inflicts wet on them. So if I inflict wet on them and then switch to, uh, I think his name is Korea or whatever, that that ice dude, and then do that same magic spell again while wet is on them, it'll actually freeze them now because uh, you inflicted that uh, status ailment first. And and then there's also ways to combine like spells together so your uh character uh your created not your created character i'll get into that a bit later but your main character has this um uh her uh big magic spell is uh throwing out a tornado and then that, that's good for like sweeping them up and whatnot it'll do damage but the, the, another character that you can use uh can shoot fire arrows so if you put the ground on fire or put them on fire and then use that tornado spell, it'll create a fire tornado instead. And that's a so, much more so devastating thing. That's pretty so cool. Your, so your party composition actually like matters. Yes, like, yeah. Okay, yeah. It, it matters, and it also matters in how you traverse the environment too. Like that ice guy, he can traverse over water because you can freeze water in front of him. So you can make like safe pathways that are underwater because you can freeze the ground in front of him. So it, it really plays around with a lot of elemental... Um, just variations and elemental interactions. Like, say, if there are enemies in, in water and you have a, a, a electric mage, you know, you can uh, use a spell uh, on that in that water, and then that electricity will obviously shock all of them at once because they're all in water. It, it's really cool, actually. And once it starts clicking with you, uh, it, get, it gets a bit engaging as well because uh, combat is pretty fluid. You, uh, switching characters is. Uh, takes very minimal time you can do it on the fly uh you do have four uh, your character party is only up to four so you'll have to think about how you want them to work together you can have more in your party uh, like to switch out from but you can only have a max of four with you at any given time to like use in combat if you, if you want to use more people uh, or different people in it then you just have to go through the menu and then say, I want to remove this character, uh, and then replace them with this character and whatnot. Are there so, like are there like character levels or skill trees or anything like yes. that? Like getting stronger or better? Yeah. So um, the, the 
just th through normal combat, they'll uh, gain experience. You'll, you'll also get items like like books and whatnot that are like two star books or three star books and whatnot. And then you, depending on the, those book rarities and whatnot, those item rarities, the, they'll you can like accelerate uh, the leveling of your characters in there as well. Uh, character leveling is also important because uh, certain dungeons gate you from attending them. So let's say there's this level 25 dungeon. Y your character party that you want to bring in there needs to have an average level of 25 to actually even like start going in there and uh, attempting it. So it I, I don't like the that get, uh, gatekeeping too much because I was like, maybe if I'm really good at this game, I uh, I can just t take on that dungeon no, no problem. But who knows? I, I don't, I'm not really a big fan of that. <laughs> Kind of thing, but it, it there are uh, progression systems. The uh, each character has their own like uh, weapon. There are swords, pole arms, uh, grimoires, uh, bow and arrow, uh, great swords. Uh, th th there's a good variation of that. All of those uh, weapons have their own rarity, and if you get like a dupe of a weapon, like either in the environment or through the gacha, you can enhance like the 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 abilities of that weapon by just if you have a a duplicate of that weapon infused into them, um, there are also uh, skill trees that'll enhance the abilities of your characters, and I'm not sure if they'll unlock new ones. I haven't checked yet. The only way I can uh, for now uh, see how to do this is I got a duplicate of Barbara through the through the gotcha, and then that unlocked uh, like the first note her constellation. Uh, for a character, and these seem to, this is their, where the skill enhancement lies, I believe. Uh, so there's just a lot of like typical RPG progression systems that uh, definitely have some gotcha outlinings. There's uh, like you don't need to have like a super rare character to like enjoy this game. Everyone that I've gotten um, seem to even the story characters. Most of my parties are story characters. They're 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 perfectly enjoyable. Uh, and whatnot. There are. It's a, definitely feels like a service game. Even in the closed beta, they're holding like events uh, in there. So I imagine for the full game, they'll also have like limited time events that players can participate in. Uh, the, what's really um, cool, like you know, awesome about exploration is like about everything is climbable. So like in the first like big town that you're in, you can like just uh, freely like you know explore rooftops, go like you know, climb up windmills and whatnot. There'll be treasure chests at times, um, and it's a, uh, it's fairly fun. I, I I forgot to mention this earlier. Like the setup of this game is kind of weird. You can, you your character is one of two siblings. These two siblings were uh, they they traveled between worlds, uh, and in between their travels, they met up with this goddess that attacked them, and then like it's kind of interesting how they allow you to. Um, choose your character at the beginning because you choose them like right at the freeze frame when they're about to like attack this goddess together, and you pick either the the boy or the girl in it. Uh, you give them a, a name, and then the whoever you choose, the other one gets abducted by the by by the goddess. So it's like the whole like arc of your character at the moment is like finding your other sibling. Like what happened to them? You you you're you're thrust into this world, and uh, the goddess took away your powers to travel between worlds so you're kind of starting from like square one and you're like in a way there's like you're you're just kind of stuck on this world 
trying to find clues on how to like get your sibling back. And so, so it's sort of whole... like Astral Chain or Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's uh, it's fun. Like you know, once once combat starts clicking with you, it's fun. I I think it's uh, a bit. It's it's too confusing at the moment how they want to structure this game, like in the final release. A lot of this, a lot of what I could be saying of like you know whether it's gonna be like a gotcha thing or not at the final release is I don't I don't know. They had this closed beta shop that um that it, none of this takes real money or anything. It doesn't allow you to spend anything on anything right now in it. Uh, I'm not sure if they'll allow you in the final game for that. I imagine if it's free to play, yes, but I don't know if it's free to play at the final release or not. Um, but in this one, you can like use the currency that they give you on daily logins every day to like uh, pick up like you know currency that you can use to roll for things in the in the gotcha banners, and and these so, gotcha banners are basically like excuses for uh, you to like check out other characters that don't normally don't join you. So it kind of feels like I I like what I'm hearing about. It's sort of Breath of the Wild sort of overworld with you know, more of a party action system combat and more RPG elements in general in terms of like EXP and skills. But yeah, like you said, the thing that I'm that I'm really hesitant towards is the sort of free to play, larger structure, gotcha sort of elements in terms of like, how does that all fit in? Yeah. And you, that's something you really just can't see yet. So that, that's the part of the game that I'm not really too enthusiastic about. Just, eh, I'm just yeah, I, 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 I get you. I, I, I'm a little bit concerned about that too. I, I don't know. Uh, they've had, they haven't really said anything about what they want to do for the final release of this game. I think it's really, really promising. Um, there, there is still, it is still de- definitely uh, a work in development. There are janky things around the edges with terms of like cutscene direction and like missing a lot of like. I don't know if it's voice. I don't know if they plan to fully voice this game or not, but there's a lot of uh, missing dialogue uh, voices in cutscenes. I'm not sure if it's supposed to be voiced or not. Um, the the current controller configuration support is very wonky. Like it's very easy to um, click on the wrong thing. So like how you choose characters, for example, is you hold L1 on on the DualShock Four, and then you press a face button to switch the character, but it, uh, Holding L1 also brings up this uh, quick uh, shortcut menu um, where you use the right analog stick to like choose, like go to uh, pull up the map or go into your item inventory or whatnot. So, like in the heat of combat, when you want to switch to a character, it's very easy for you to like flick that right stick instead when you're trying to choose a character. So, like if I'm trying to choose this character, like at in the heat of the moment, it'll pull up like the world map instead because I accidentally flick that stick, you know. Um, just little things like that. Uh, just, well, that's what betas um, are for. Yep, exactly. Um, it's. It, it, I also think that it's kind of neat how they uh, play around with genres a little. Like I know Honkai Impact Third likes to do like events where they really switch up the genres. Like there'll be like maybe uh, an event where it turns to, like a twin stick shooter, or maybe it'll turn to like a, a puzzle type deal or whatnot. And in this in this game, there's uh, like small hints of that like in in one of the big events that happens very early on in this game is like there's this big dragon that attacks the town so they give you this this glider uh that like it turns into a rail shooter for a hot second like you're up in the air like shooting like like lasers at this dragon like high above the town 
and then it was it was a very brief thing but i wonder if it's like a, a sign of things to come of like them trying to switch it up as much as they do for the hankai impact third game other than that um it's i'm still uh, working my way through it it seems to be uh somewhat of a beefy closed beta it does it, it'll end like around mid-april or something so i'll probably play a, uh, more of it and then write up something for the site uh talking about more of my experiences about what you saw, heard here and maybe more things i'll encounter down the road I, i'm really really interested in how like good party synergies work uh in that game and it's it, they're really fun to experiment with i really like the direction they went with in terms of like combining elements together and combining debuffs together to 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 get the upper hand on enemies i also uh, really like the the ai of the enemies in the game they're they they really work together uh when things uh get going like uh there will be enemies that like can freeze you and then uh as you're frozen like uh big characters with clubs can like hit you and whatnot and it's kind of it's kind of neat to see like like weird party dynamics in enemies too as you're facing them but that's my time with Genshin Impact. Yeah, it's a interesting game to look forward to. Yeah, I, I'm mostly interested in seeing exactly what its Western release format will be. Because I am interested. Yeah. In how was, like, like I did look it up and specifically decide. I think RPG shite, RPG shite should be looking at this. I, it's just that if it's pure free to play and if it leans heavily into service stuff, you know, we all only have so much time for so many yeah. of those styles of games. <clears throat> unfortunately the, well this is uh time, but this won't last forever the, yeah the, this game also is coming out on ps4 switch uh, pc which i play and also on ios and android and it's kind of well looking at this game i'm like looking like how does this run on smartphones like this is crazy what they're doing here you know and, and like I, I saw some footage of it that there are like a bit of problems around the frame rate but you know, I it it looks like it still holds up in phones if that's the only way you want to play it. So, it, interesting, interesting way to roll it out. All right, so that was a lengthy uh, what we've been playing section, but because a lot of it was also talking about some of the thing our staff had gotten to look at, such as Genshin Impact and Adam's time with Wasteland Three, what they had been playing and what they have been covered or in the process of covering just overlapped in that sense. Uh, so we'll move on to the news section with the idea in mind that some of those topics have, have we've already kind of touched on with the playing section where they overlap. That uh, the one other thing that's on the website uh, is the Persona 5 Royal reviews dropped this week. So obviously one of our writers, Colin Black, had put a ton of time into it, you know, staying up to ungodly hours to finish through that. Uh, and put up a really, you know, praiseworthy review of, of the game. And he basically thinks that it's everything a re-release of Persona 5 should be. So it's a 10 out of 10. I guess I'll just give the spoiler there. So he thought really highly of it. Uh, obviously, it comes out in a couple of weeks. And we'll all have, you know, our chance to form our own opinions of it. Some people who have played Persona 5 and some people haven't. Uh, give it a read. He's really, it's obviously something that he was very passionate about and he thought it was a really great game. Yeah, it's a uh, on monumental effort. It's uh, it's amazing what he did. It's yeah. uh, it's, it's nuts. And uh, we'll probably have some guides for it uh, coming up in the when it gets nearer to release as well. But it it, it looks, it sounds very promising, like uh, the additions to it, 
Like it seems a lot more beefy than what I uh, initially imagined. Uh, hopefully, I'll find the time to get around to it because it's sounding like it's even a longer game than the original. But uh, it, it's cool. Um, I, I want to check it out sometime. All right, so I did. I did want to give that a shout out. But into the uh, major news topics this week, we had a lot to talk about because we've had PlayStation Five details. We've gotten. Uh, Xbox One details from earlier in the week. We had a Nintendo Indie Showcase. So a whole bunch of stuff. We're, uh, this is what we knew was coming and here it is. So the PlayStation 5. So this video, uh, this stream was originally a repurposed uh, stream that was set for GDC, which of course has been postponed to a, they now have a summer GDC summer event uh, planned for August. So I don't think there's any, a lot of details on that specific event but in terms of the playstation 5 uh announcement so we obviously knew about the playstation 5 they revealed the logo for it but this was the first time they really got to talk you know nuts and bolts and details uh as a repurposed gdc uh talk now repurposed as a road to ps5 stream and this followed kind of behind xbox giving similar details out ahead of time so uh I'm gonna hand this off over to James because he might be a bit more knowledgeable about this. But it seems like it was 52 of minutes of uh, lead system architect Mark Cerny's voice talking very smooth, soothly yeah. about what you can expect. Here's the, rec- the, here's the requisite uh, ASMR uh, comment about his voice. But <laughs> yeah. basically, it's it seems like that both consoles uh, have very similar uh, levels of yeah, very very similar CPU and CPU. Uh, the Xbox One, obviously, uh, not one, Xbox Series X um, has had a lot of, you know, build up about their ecosystem, about Game Pass, about a high degree of backwards compatibility. The PlayStation One has uh, had a little bit more of a muddied conversation about that. But the highlight of their uh, presentation has been their custom solution for their SSD storage. So I'll just hand it off to James. What do we think about the PlayStation 5, what they presented to us a couple of days ago? Well, as far as I can tell from the specs, there's three main differences between the Xbox and the PlayStation. So on the CPU front, they're almost identical. Like the Xbox can run the CPU at 3.8 gigahertz with uh, multi-threading disabled and 3.6 gigahertz with multi-threading enabled. The PlayStation 5 has been confirmed to have multi-threading and the CPU can run up to 3.5 gigahertz. So... In all honesty, there's not going to be very much, if any, difference in the CPU performance that anyone would notice. It's like 3% difference at max. The one thing that does kind of tie into the differences in the GPU is that while Microsoft, besides the differences between multi-threading and um, multi-threading disabled um, clocks on the CPU, Otherwise, their CPU clock speed, their GPU clock speed is locked, whereas Sony is going for a variable clock speed on both the CPU and the GPU. And so what they're doing is they're having less CUs or compute units on the GPU versus Microsoft's, but they're running their compute units at a higher frequency. So I think Microsoft has something like uh, 44% or something more compute units, but they're running at 1.85 gigahertz, whereas Sony's is running up to 2.23. So assuming that that peak frequency is common, then the usual difference in the performance when it comes to the GPU will be around 10 to 15%, assuming that um, 
games are optimized for multiple CUs on the Xbox. The other thing to note is, is that both consoles are using the RDNA 2 architecture, which is the latest. And by latest, I mean, we don't even have them on PC um, version of AMD GPUs that have hardware ray tracing support in line with the RTX NVIDIA GPUs that released last year. Well, actually not last year. Was it 2018? I think it was like right. 2018, yeah. Yeah, 2018. But one thing that might be of note is that the way that the AMD ray tracing um, capabilities are done actually benefits from more compute units. So it'll be interesting to see if the ray tracing capabilities on the Xbox are much better than the ray tracing capabilities on the PS5. Then the only other major difference is the SSDs and how both the companies are dealing with expanded storage. Sony put a lot of emphasis in their, well, on their very custom PCIe Gen 4 SSD that, again, as of right now, there's nothing consumer you can buy that's the same exact technology or even the same peak speeds because they're saying somewhere along the lines of 5.5 gigabit, um, gigabytes per second or gigabits, gigabytes, 5.5 per um, I don't know if it's actually gigabytes or gigabits, but you get the I point. I get them mixed up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, some um, people aren't careful about whether or not they capitalize that or not. So you can't really trust them. So I, I think I think it is gigabytes, though. Yeah. Get, I'll just say gigabytes if I'm wrong. Someone correct me, but it doesn't really change the difference in the performance gap between their two C, um, two SSDs. So in all likelihood, it doesn't really matter all that much. But um, yeah. So. Sony's is a base of 5.5. Microsoft's seems to be more akin to a PCIe Gen 3 SSD. And it's actually slower than the SSD in my current system. And it's going for 2.4 gigabytes per second. Um, uh, I have a Samsung, I think, 950, which benchmarks at around 2-ish. They're around the same as the Xbox. I think if you have a 970, you get about 3-ish. Uh, I don't know about other brands. Um, but yeah, so the, the Xbox memory is about what a m2 drive would storage. run at uh yeah sorry storage um would run at from about a year and a half two years ago uh but the thing is is that there's also some uh, uh there's there's things you have to keep in mind like for instance if your nvme storage benchmarks at a certain speed and your sata 3 drive benchmarks at a quarter of that that doesn't mean you're going to load four times as fast because your drivers in the software or on the or on the hardware. It's uh, it's basically the software that's running it. You might benchmark at a certain speed, but the uh, what your actual visible difference if you're booting up Windows or uh, or a game might be percentage points. At least that's what yeah. I've seen so far. Where One thing to note: back end doesn't support that raw um, feed through, despite what your what your Samsung mag magician might benchmark your speed at. Uh, what were you going to say, Josh? Oh yeah, I was just mentioning that uh, for for people at home that like uh, the, just the, the most obvious uh, thing is that uh, PS5 is gonna they're using a, like their own custom 825 gigabytes of uh, SSD storage internally uh, in there, and also they they mentioned uh, like there was a really interesting talk about game philosophy and game design. They had like uh, Mark Mark Sony used like a Jack a Jack Two level for example. And like how we used, how game developers have used, uh, you know, let's say Mass Effect elevators or just Spider-Man subways to mask loading times. And he's talking about how their custom SSD solution will try to uh, just get rid of those 
not get rid of, but try to minimize and keep those types of games about design philosophies in check so they don't have to be so obvious about masking loading times. They want everything to be instantaneous for PlayStation 5 next gen. Uh, so to like, you know, when you when you think about game design and games, and why, why do they structure this to be a long corridor? Or why does it have to be this? Or why does it have to be that? Or like when, like when they're when you're going up to this door, it takes a second for it to like, you know, fully open because they're trying to load in the next assets behind that door. Uh, so it, it, it's it's a really really fascinating talk that like I'm not going to sit here and pretend to understand like I uh, understood everything, but I can. It, it's nice to it's nice to hear from people the perspective of people who are actually designing the consoles. Like, how are they trying to like you know influence the the next generation of uh, game design in terms of like how players navigate spaces yeah that, that, was, that was really interesting when nintendo finally adopts this technology and metroid for prime 4 is just about to release they won't have those doors between rooms that take five seconds to open <laughs> after you shoot them <laughs> i'm looking forward to that day there's well, also a, a like a like a like a great great uh like visual because that, that, that I'm, probably, I'm probably skipping a little bit ahead but i, I wanted to mention this uh they, they really placed the emphasis on 3d audio support in the playstation 5 and like they, the the ways they test for it is they had they uh have sid schumann uh sit in a room like surrounded on all sides by like mics and um getting like this i, I didn't get this too too much but basically at some point uh, Mark Cerny wanted people to send him pictures of their ear to get this, some sort of spectrum or range or whatever sound on their ear. So send, if you if you so happen to choose to take pictures of your ear, send it to Mark Cerny. I thought I didn't even realize that was a real thing. I thought that was just like a joke. No, he, no, he, he flat out said, like, you know, send me pictures of your ear on the stream. Wow. Um. What I will say about the um, 3D audio and ray traced audio thing is that people keep talking about the um, bits about it that uh, Sony was talking about with PlayStation 5. I feel like not enough people are actually talking about the fact that Microsoft is doing that too. Mm-hmm. Like when they were talking about the ray tracing capabilities, when they were talking about with graphics, they made sure to say that, yeah, it can work with audio too. And they even had like a, a heat map of the audio wavelengths, like bouncing around a 3D environment on the digital foundry video so it's something that i feel like the two next gen consoles are going to be super super close together this time around like even more so than the ps5 the ps4 and the xbox one i guess uh, this is this is a good uh, this is a good segue because there are there are big differences in how microsoft and sony are handling expandable storage in their next gen consoles and that's definitely worth pointing out like i i know in um for the playstation 5 uh, they are allowing third-party uh, third-party NVMe SSDs to to run games off, off of it, but they have to be verified by Sony because uh, it has to reach a, a certain speed for it to actually allow for it. If I understood that correctly, James. Yeah, Which what right they said it, that they're, yeah. it's not even necessarily about matching the same speed, but what the Sony was talking about was that since there's so many customizations in their SSDs, they want to make sure that the um, third-party SSDs that people install are actually faster 
at a at, at a baseline than the SSD and the PS5 because it doesn't have those built-in like optimizations on the controller and stuff like that. Right. Um, and and, so. and how and how Microsoft is handling this part with the Xbox Series X is they actually have their own yeah they they have their own custom like memory cards that they collaborated with Seagate on that's like it's actually a slot at the back of the Series X uh where you can slot them in and um how they're doing this is you can these uh custom memory cards uh will allow you to run Xbox Series X games off of it but if you want to use like the your own your own uh hard external hard drive you can store Series X games on it but you cannot run off run Series X games on it. They have to be transferred over to this custom memory card, correct? Um, backwards compatible games on both PS5 and Xbox Series X, you can run off a hard drive. Everything else needs to be on their uh, requisite SSD format. Right. And, and that's also um, a good point about the backwards compatibility is as of the moment, um, Cerny only uh, like confirmed that there will be only backwards compatibility at this point in time. Yeah, we don't know exactly what the final they launch will be. They did an update. They did yeah, an update. Yeah, yeah, but for PS4, it's only PS4 Pro and PS4. The, there, there was a really shaky wording around how Cerny phrased it and how the PS4 blog put it uh, on backwards compatibility. But the, the, the long story short of it is that uh, PS5 will almost all get all of uh P- ps4's library can run games of, yeah vast majority yeah will run off of it but the, uh, there is like a custom boost mode for certain ps4 games on a title by title basis that they can support like uh like larger resolutions or may- maybe better frame rate so like ps5 will have its own boost mode for it, but only for like a certain amount of ps4 games but for like a lot of other ps4 like library games in general, it can run them, vast majority. Yeah, it and was very. Xbox. I was just going to essentially Xbox saying the, same thing. the other way, where they originally had a tweet reply, basically saying yes, all Xbox One games and every currently backwards compatible 360 and original game will work. And then uh, I forget if it was Phil Spencer or Major Nelson basically said like, okay, we can't guarantee with absolute certainty that everything will work. Absolutely, because I just don't think they want to bake themselves into that corner. You know, you only need to find one contra- counter example to make your absolute statement false. I can but find one counter example: Fantasia on the Xbox One because it required Connect. <laughs> yeah, stuff like that. So basically, the long story short is that both studios, even though their messaging, well, I think, I think it's pretty clear that Sony's messaging wasn't as good, though they've done, they made, they kind of course corrected since. But both, both, you know, groups have really made an emphasis to say that they're putting a lot of emphasis on backwards compatibility with the only caveat being that for Sony, anything prior to PlayStation 4 is still kind of a, it seems like a, a no. It's not a definite no. They should. They the, the hardware could do PS3 emulation. If Microsoft could do Xbox 360 emulation on Xbox One, there's no reason that PS3 could not be possible on PS5 especially considering we're seeing Zen 2-based CPUs running RPCS3 on PC, quite a bit of uh, PS3 games emulated with little to no issues. Correct me if I'm wrong with the Xbox Series X. Xbox Series X at this moment will at least be able to play Xbox 360 games and original Xbox games too? Yeah. 
if, okay. the, if they are currently already backwards compatible, yes. If they're on the current... Right. That's, of, and that's not necessarily yeah. a uh, hardware issue. It's more of a licensing issue. Though, right. it, it is worth noting that there have been a few, not many, but a few games that they've released backwards compatible, but you can't buy them digitally. You can only download them and play them if you have a disc, because the way the backwards compatibility works on Xbox is you put a disc in, it reads it, it's like, okay... We'll download the files for this, then we'll run the separate application when this is in. The disk is just a check. So, yeah. So, th there are other things around the Microsoft's messaging on Xbox Series X. Uh, this past week, they uh, released like two quick like demos, like uh, clips of like, like features of the Xbox Series X. One of them was the quick resume feature, which allows you to basically suspend games between multiple games so like hey pause here and then uh, go back into another game that you quick or you suspended and then it goes through that very quickly it's uh i don't know how much of that feature will be used but i'm sure it's going to be very handy the other one was a loading times tech demo for state of decay 2 i don't know if it was like the strongest showing of that because um it informed me that one state of decay 2 has very long loading times even on xbox one x <laughs> and then on the xbox series x it still has a quite a bit of a considerable loading time like on it. Like 15 seconds or 20 yeah, seconds or something yeah. like I, I, I thought it was 8, but that still wasn't very impressive. Like, Yeah, yeah. so it, it, that, was, that was a um, weird demo for me. One thing I want mm -hmm. to kind of stress about the SSDs in both the Xbox and the PlayStation 5, because I didn't mention this earlier, mm -hmm. but the numbers that both of those companies are sharing are the the sequential reads and writes. Probably the sequential reads. What that means is, is if a game is um, reading something from multiple spots on the SSD, not se sequentially, the random reads and writes for modern-day NVMe drives are not discernibly different from modern-day SATA drive. Because the bottleneck becomes the controller and not necessarily the bandwidth of the PCIe connection. So mm -hmm. a lot of these people are talking about asset streaming would will be a big boon for the PlayStation 5, but I don't think it's... I don't think we, we know enough to say mm -hmm. because we know that the PlayStation 5's SSD is custom. We know that it's supposed to have all these optimizations, but what about the random reads and writes? What about the yeah. random reads and writes on the Xbox um, SSD? It's not likely, yeah, but it's even possible yeah. from all we know right now that the Xbox SSD has better random reads and writes which in some games would mean they would actually perform better. Probably not, but we just don't know. And that one number, or I guess two numbers, because one from each that people are parroting around about which SSD is definitively better. Yeah, the PlayStation 5 SSD probably is better, but we just don't know yet. Well, be, it'll be it interesting to see, on, like, you know, on, on the, the software uh, talent behind it too, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure we'll get a lot, a lot of comparison videos when the these two systems are out about like their loading times, their visuals, and whatnot uh, moving forward. So it, it's a lot of it is still very early, but it's all it's all very fascinating from a technological standpoint. Like their their approaches yeah. to what their next boxes should be, and as of right now, they're still both slated out to be late 2020. Anything can happen. And it's all wild world that we're living in right now. But yeah, you know. yeah, they might release in 2020, but will people be able to afford them? Who knows? Who knows?
yeah. in general, though, I feel a lot more kind of enthusiasm for this console generation than the last one. Because the last one, the, the Wii U released early, right? But it was kind of a known quantity. Then the Microsoft had its very, very kind of poor, like, fumble of marketing leading into it. So it was kind of like, get a PS4 and you're done for most people, I felt like, unless there was a really big brand that you wanted on, a, on, a, on another console. Where now it kind of feels like, well, one has this and one has that. But yeah, even then, we're yeah. talking before we've seen really much of any games for either system. So, what I um, will say about this generation is there's two main things that make it much more exciting than last gen's leap. One, the PlayStation 4, when it came out, which was the top of the line for consoles, obviously, was equivalent to a Radeon HD 7870, which was a mid-end GPU at that time. The Xbox Series X, we don't have one-to-one numbers, but a port after one week to the Xbox Series X was running Gears 5 at around RTX 2080 super levels. And again, that's only after a week. This is a totally new architecture. There's plenty of things you can optimize for. I think people are throwing around the 2080 super level um, comparison, not understanding that that's the baseline before really any optimizations have begun. So in all likelihood, the Xbox Series X is close-ish to a 2080 Ti, a current top-of-the-end graphics card right now. Which yeah. is and then there's the SSD jump, which is huge. So it's it's going to be a much more significant leap than uh, last generation. I'm thinking part of the reason for that is because we had those um, pro consoles in the mid, like the mid-gen refreshes. So both Sony and Microsoft yeah. had to be a bit more ambitious in order for it to actually appear to be a generational leap. Interesting. And that does uh, I also kind of lead to the question, though, that we don't know pricing for these. If they're going to be such, yeah. relative, relative to their release time, if they're going to be so much more powerful, are they going to still be three ninety nine? Are they going to be five? People are saying. Who knows? People are saying, well, the PS five is weaker, so they're obviously going for four hundred dollars. And it's like, guys, I don't know if you've noticed, but current. PCIe Gen 4, like one terabyte SSDs, not even the custom ones that are special like Sony's and the PlayStation 5, are $200, more than $200 alone. Then there's the GPU, the CPU, the motherboard, the RAM, everything else, shipping. Like, if they sold it, like, I don't anticipate either of them being under $500. I anticipate, in fact, I wouldn't be shocked if they were both selling at a loss, even if they sold at $600. Me neither. Even, even to my limited knowledge base, but me, me neither. And then that goes basically, do they have their uh, PlayStation Plus, PlayStation Now, Game Pass, Xbox Live ecosystems in place where they know that people are bought in, that they can take that loss. Uh, and I don't, I guess I'm not knowledgeable enough to say whether or not they are in that place. It definitely seems like Xbox has gone that direction. Maybe PlayStation less so, but I don't know. PlayStation, PlayStation Network still gets uh, like, you know benchmark numbers of active subscribers every every quarter it seems like so it seems like people have bought in so services they might be willing to yes there you go thanks for bouncing on on the flip side game pass has been doing a lot of work bringing people back into the xbox ecosystem i feel like especially on pc because if you've gotten used to like your gamer score on like the pc game pass if you've gotten used to playing all those microsoft games and 
you just want to get a console for like the living room or something, like maybe for a 4K Blu-ray player, maybe because you don't always want to play on your PC. I think there's something to be said for um, Microsoft uh, kind of leading people down that path. To be honest, I'm kind of in that boat because I've played over the last four months or whatever through Game Pass PC, Outer Worlds, Age of Empires, Halo, and now Ori. And so I've gotten like Microsoft, you know, I have that I have that Microsoft account now. That's I've really only used it to play those games, but I'm in I'm in that ecosystem. Like my, my toes in the water, so I'm there now. Yeah. And I wasn't there. It's, all, it's also a good time to capitalize on new ones too, because now we're at a situation where people are home a lot more often. Uh, so the, this is the time for the, these kinds of services to like really start growing because now people have more time to be in that situation. Unfortunately, so, but true. Yeah, I mean that's the, that's the reality of it. You know, it's not it's not that's not the, not the yeah. ideal catalyst, but that's what it is. Um, also, I just wanted to make a quick mention since we're on services that uh, Microsoft has started internally uh, testing uh, Project X Cloud on PCs. Uh, they were mentioning that the other day with uh, staff members uh, doing that. So th th this will be like handy situations where like you have like an underpowered laptop and whatnot, and you just want to have something on the go. Like a Project X Cloud on PC uh, might be an interesting endeavor. I've briefly used X Cloud on my phone. Haven't really done so recently for obvious reasons because I'll not really yeah. have any reason to be out and about. Every reason not to. But um, when I did use it, I actually found it a lot more impressive than when I uh, briefly used Stadia through a BuddyPass system. So I definitely trust uh, Microsoft when it comes to that streaming services thing over Google. At the, at my, sta the, my Stadia BuddyPass uh, expired uh, earlier this month, man. What am I going to no. do? Oh, it's funny. I, I, I forgot about canceling it, but there was like a data breach or something for USAA. So I got a new card in the mail. So I got an email from Google saying that my... Uh, my uh, um, membership was declined because it, they weren't able to charge the old card. Oh god! <laughs> okay. That's thinking ahead. Oh no! But yeah. Oh um, yeah. PlayStation Five. I was just gonna start the segue out. PS Five, Xbox. They look very similar with unique strengths. I think we're at a more level playing field going into this gen than we were the last two. I feels like. Maybe yeah. not. Maybe PS Three, Xbox Three Sixty were pretty close. I don't remember off the top of my head, but. It seems like there's a lot different. of reason to be excited for, for well, yeah, because they had that cell architecture in the first place, so you couldn't even Hell yeah. compute or directly compare it, which is, might be a, a reason why we're having difficulty seeing PS3 backwards compatibility in the first place. But like James said, they should be able to software emulate it, but they haven't shown that inclination. But PS5 Series X still on sl slated for this holiday. We really haven't. Hopefully, we'll see over the summer some games for them. I think we've got a few like that. Uh, Godfall is that the one that we've seen? That's a game. I, see. I yep, think that's... that's the only one we've seen. Mm -hmm. And then Halo is going to cross gen, kind of infinite. Do we for haven't seen games. like we we've seen the spec sheets, but we want to see like what is it? What does that translate to? And but we haven't seen that yet. So hopefully, at some point this summer, but it would have to be like in a state of play or a whatever Microsoft's planning to do with their uh, replacement for their E3 presentation. We'll just have to see. My question is, how long until it's going to be mandatory that people have PCIe SSDs on a PC? I, pr I probably need to start thinking about building a new PC for the upcoming next-gen games. Start yeah, brainstorming. I think we're all in that boat. Like... I'm good. I just need a new graphics card. <laughs> 
My PC's already feeling a little old. Yeah, I uh, I have that, like I said, that Samsung. It was It's not the first generation, but one of the earlier NVMEs. So now I'm like, do I want to get a faster, bigger one now? Uh, which probably wouldn't be if Sony didn't like put so much emphasis on it. But here we are. Well, and the problem is, is that since you're on Intel, you can't even use PCIe Gen 4 yet. And if you do, and when you will be able to, you'd have to upgrade anyways. Yeah, maybe I'll wait for DDR5 RAM. Do you and just do the whole thing? Do you imagine uh, uh, as we enter the next gen and uh, Microsoft had a proprietary solution or memory cards or whatever? Do you think that uh, future PC parts will start having that custom solution? on them as well like slots for that custom memory stick i don't think so if only because thunderbolt is already a thing on pc and there are thunderbolt ssds get that can uh, hit those same speeds or close to them and honestly if both the xbox and the playstation 5 were releasing in 2021 i would have foreseen them both using thunderbolt connections for ssds because that would be entirely more uh, user friendly easier to deal with mm-hmm. and like already i think um amd has thunderbolt 3 support so like i mean i think you can hit those speeds on thunderbolt 3 at least for the xbox i'm not sure about for well probably not gen 4 um pcie yet but that's something that going forward i don't think there's going to be a need for that because if you really need a plug and play solution thunderbolt is there and also usb is there and whatnot Imagine plugging a memory stick into your PC. Man. Oh, what a weird feeling. Yeah, we're also going to be seeing like all those uh, Intel, NVIDIA, AMD, what they have to announce through, through the uh, coming years, you know? Yep. It's going to be interesting, though. Like, now that I mentioned it, I wonder if we're going to see more, P- like, more PC part pickers, like, say, hey, go AMD, so you for SSD since next gen. Really, really... Maybe not requires it because of the Xbox, but it's like highly recommended. Well, just going, just speaking about graphics cards, it's just weird that we talked about how that 280 Ti is kind of top of the line. I think there's a few Titan models that beat it out, but they're like way more expensive, even more. They're only like four percent faster. Yeah, but the um, that was late 2018, so it's kind of been a while since we've had that. I, I, I don't really keep on top of it. Maybe AMD's done something and I wasn't aware, but NVIDIA has been quiet for like a year, it feels like. So it's like, is there going to be a big jump there? But is it going to be like super insanely pricey too? Who knows? We're getting a bit off topic, but that's all stuff that's going to be announced and you know maybe potentially made available before these consoles launch. So It's going to be interesting because um, from a PC hardware perspective, the obviously the Xbox's GPU is actually going to be a, a lower frequency than the um, PC equivalent hardware. So if we look at the frequencies that the PS5 is hitting, since they're trying to push as high as they can, it's very possible that you're going to see those same frequencies on the top of the line AMD parts when they come out. So if um, so if Microsoft's part could be overclocked to that, that's already a significant boost. And then there's also going to be even higher um, compute unit parts on PC. So I'm actually feeling really good about the upcoming AMD because like people are saying, oh, it's going the uh, next gen NVIDIA card is going to be 50% faster than 2080 Ti. If this part in the Xbox is already getting close to 2080 Ti and it's a console part underclocked, not the full CU count, 
that's looking really good for AMD's um, being ability to compete at the high end. So I'm excited to see that now. So we got competition in the console space and in the PC space, exactly where we want it. Back on the software side, one other preview that we did put up this week is for uh, War of the Visions, Final Fantasy, Brave Exvius, which I'll hand this over to Josh just before I really say something that's too incorrect. This is a game that is a spinoff of the Brave XVS mobile game. And this yeah. spinoff is already already released in Japan. This is just the Western release for it, as far as I understand. Yeah, uh, yes, it's uh, not necessarily a sequel. Like you said, a spinoff. It's uh, very inspired by Final Fantasy Tactics. Uh, Cullen uh, did a uh, preview for us. It was uh, enrolled to some closed beta for it. It's uh, very much uh, a gotcha game uh, from World Devices. You roll for units in it. Uh, it, it definitely has that, that feel of uh, Final Fantasy Tactics strategy RPG. You can read up all about it, uh, his experience with it. I, I played a little bit of it uh, when it rolled out of Japan. Uh, Japan. Um, it, it's it's a lot, a lot, a lot of systems. There's also like a you can join like a guild in it. There's PvP. There's uh, co-op raids, uh, very fully featured. I I'm not exactly sure. I haven't really kept up with like details uh, on how the how gameplay has uh, changed in it and whatnot. I know there's like different classes, uh, all sorts of like skill trees, uh, summons. Um, I'm trying to think what uh, what else. <laughs> really stuck out to me about it there was like one the general other thing. feedback that i've read from people is that the game has a lot of currencies so when you say it's very much a gotcha game that's like the description that's most apt it feels like yeah they're, they're, make no mistake that like this is this is not like it'll give you the good this final fantasy tactics, tactics vibes but but it's not like it's probably not the sequel that you're looking for, uh, but it has great, great artwork. Um, the, yeah, I, I'm trying to remember what else really stuck to me about it, but I can't remember off the top of my head. Yeah, Colin but, was pretty uh, positive there, on it, but... There are collaborations that it's done. At, like at, at launch in Japan, they did a Shadowbringers collaboration. You can get Yushtola in it and uh, the Warrior of Darkness. I believe. Oh, actually, I don't know if it's... I forgot his name already. I don't know if it's the Warrior of Darkness or some other dude. Um, and they also had a collaboration with the uh, Final Fantasy Tactics proper. So, yeah, with uh, Ramza in it, a few other characters. And I don't know exactly if they announced the Western release date for it yet, but it should be coming fairly soon. I may give it a second look, but March twenty-five. Uh, we have it listed. Yeah, so is soon. it March twenty-five? Okay. Yeah, so this just in a few days. So. I don't know. I I guess I'll check it out again and try not to get too consumed by it. It's a, it's a scary prospect. But I, I don't have much else to say about that. It really. I, th I think we're all kind of dampened our enthusiasm when you say this isn't the tactic sequel you're looking for, but it's... Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm just being honest with the people. <laughs> yeah, no, it's yeah. So that's War of the Visions. Colin was pretty positive on it, but he uh, he wrote up his thoughts on the uh, on his closed preview impressions. I I think should, he also edged, hedged himself a lot. He's just like it's a good first impression, but all this gotcha stuff could be really 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 bad. He said that. <laughs> yeah, that, that, right. that, that's that, that's so. gotcha games in general. They'll all give you very good first impressions because they're trying to give your 
their best foot forward two weeks in, in, into playing a gacha game like with most there it's like oh oh no <laughs> their yeah. mistakes have been made so uh, on tuesday this week we had a nintendo not a direct unfortunately but an indie showcase well maybe that's a direct maybe that counts uh and it actually showed off quite a few pretty interesting little indie rpgs uh, i don't know if we're gonna get into the weeds of all of them but there, uh, we had an announcement for uh, an Italian studio-developed game called Baldo, which is a isometric, almost Zelda style, described as an open-world RPG with the art style of like a Ghibli movie or a Nino Kuni game. So, based on everything they've showed on that indie direct, that's the one that I think st stood out the most to me. So, it's coming out this summer first on Switch, though it is also going to come out on both consoles and PC. Again, this is Baldo, and it really did look like Nino Kuni at first glance when they showed the trailer. I was surprised. Right, and they called it open. Like the, the the little trailer snippet for it was kind of weird because they acted like it's gonna be like this big, massive game, but it also has like this artsy, cutesy anime style to it, where it doesn't really look like this big, overbearing. Game. It's like it's like an isometric action RPG, right? Like they actually take right. control it, it, it in, almost looks in real like time a, combat. Uh, it almost looks like take the take the camera from Link's Awakening remake and angle it forty five mm. degrees, and there you got it. Only yeah. it's yeah. so it, it, based on the little demo that they showed. It remind they never used this comparison, but it reminded me of a Zelda game. But they described it like an RPG. And it well, like they also described it with a lot of puzzle elements. Like they really yeah, they emphasized that what... there's going to be a lot of puzzles. But yeah, so this is coming out this summer for Switch. It's something I I don't think was this the debut announcement for it. I think so because most of the other no, they announced it. Like... It was actually revealed by the indie studio like in 2017. But like a lot of indie oh. games, you know, when they're very first revealed, they're not they don't get a lot of eyeballs. But then like Nintendo revealed it in a yeah, Nintendo announced it formally last year. Okay, and that's kind of where a lot of these other games are at, too. Like, for instance, um, Eldest Souls was another RPG uh, indie, from an indie studio that was highlighted on this Indie World Direct, which was first announced at E3 last year. So this was the, um, basically a follow-up with a new trailer for that game coming out to Switch and then PC. We also got uh, Summer in Mara, which kind of looks like a cross between, like, Stardew Valley and Wind Waker and maybe some like Terraria in there. It's kind of got, it's got another like, yeah. It's I was gonna say it's Very got Hawaiian. its own kind of unique take on on a more like Western kind of Saturday morning cartoon art style. And most of the trailer for that is actually just like the opening movie for it with with a few gameplay snippets. Um, it looks like if you if you like your the like the farming sim or dare I say it like the Animal Crossing type pace to a game. This looks like uh, something that would be kind of right in that same lane. And then the fourth and last one was uh, The Good Life, which is from Swery. Yeah, Hidetaka's uh, Suehiro. Yeah. All right. So um, so that game, I feel like we've gotten a bunch of news for in a lot of different... That one's, I feel like, the one that's had the longest tail for all of these four games. So again, it was Baldo, uh, Elder Scrolls, Summer of Mara, and the good life, those are kind the of the good life was the highlight. one where 
the, the good life was the one where uh, you're like an investigator or a journalist, and then at night everyone talks, uh, turns into dogs and cats, right? I, I think that was the one. Yes. Yeah. Didn't they have a Kickstarter at some point as well? Yeah. So the, the history on the good life, uh, Swery originally did a fig for it back in 2016 or 17, like a fig campaign, and it failed. And then they followed it up with a Kickstarter campaign, and that one succeeded. And they started demoing the game a couple of years ago now. Like we actually have impressions from 2018 when it was at PAX West that we wrote up some things on it. And it's basically just been in development since then. Mm. Um, so it's supposed to come out this year though. And basically this, this announcement was that it's coming to Switch. It's also coming to PC and other consoles too. It's okay. coming to Switch is basically what they announced. Cool. So some of these were like, switch timed exclusive and then that was just a port announcement we don't know its release window at all but uh a lot of rpgs in that indie showcase uh i think baldo looks really neat uh the other three maybe less so to me but if someone's really into that farming genre they might really look at summer of mara as something that's up their alley so i want to just give a kind of a shout out like i didn't know how much i wanted to go into detail all four of those but uh some of them are releasing as early as this summer I, th I think the the, the biggest takeaway from Direct was I love when Nintendo does this and other uh, companies do this is like they let the developers uh, speak for themselves and I love like just uh, that they were all t uh, speaking their native language and uh, you know just earnestly like presenting their game like in a very casual fashion and just talking about like some of their briefly some of their design philosophies and whatnot because it's always nice to see like perspectives on how to tackle game design from uh, like foreign territories and whatnot and seeing how how they grew up what influenced them and how what uh, you know from their childhood what what aspects of their life do they want to you know bring into their game right it's, like, it's, like in baldo they, they, they it starts out with the um i don't know if it's a director or a producer but the uh, the, the italian uh studio head talking about how he was influenced by japanese anime that's what he wanted to make his game centered around so it's kind of mm -hmm. cool just to see that kind of crossing of uh, of cultures and of influences, and yeah, they don't, they just give them subtitles and just let the let the director or the studio talk before just going into a trailer just outright. So I do agree that I do kind of like that format. Another upcoming RPG that's of a similar scale, which is now on Kickstarter at this moment, is Sea of Stars, which is a prequel to The Messenger from Sabotage Studio. Now, this game kind of took me a little bit kind of by surprise because The Messenger really isn't an RPG. It's kind of like an action. Yeah, it's a, Messenger was like a, a very ninja-guided-influenced uh, game, side-scroller, um, where you know a lot of it was very uh, movement-traversal-based, uh, similar to ninja-guided, uh, being up in the air as much as you can and like hitting stuff, like reset your jump. And whatnot, and the, and there's like a whole big, uh, you know, revelation in the messenger of like how it went from like, uh, was it eight bit to sixteen bit, or is it sixteen bit to thirty two bit? I forgot, but it it it, just, it that was like the big big twist in that game, and I didn't, I I never played it. I I, I looked at it, and I was like, oh, okay, this this looks really cool, but it never. Yeah, got I think it. I think I think the four of us are kind of in the same boat where we weren't really looking for that sort of game. But Sea of Stars, if you haven't seen this trailer, I think you should watch it because. It will probably evoke nostalgia for your favorite Super Nintendo or potentially PS1 uh, era RPGs, or maybe like some Game Boy Advance type style games like Golden Sun. 
because uh, that is definitely what it's kind of trying to go for. It, it's Kickstarter is still like three days new, but it's already doubled its goal. We're not going to see like this, the, this, the planned quote unquote, like delivery date for this is 2022. So it is far off, but I think this game looks like the sort of game where we're not getting these from the major powerhouses. This is exactly the sort of game that I think a small indie studio with limited like scope and availability could could do oh yeah this uh, i'm looking through the trailer right now and it's very reminiscent in a good way of like how uh grpgs were tackled on like game boy advance you know just the the general uh, it's got a lovely art style it's got awesome like the music that's in the trailer is really nice uh it's i'm just bummed that it's 2022 but i guess i understand it and uh there's still like the kickstarter page is still going They've already got six thousand backers. It's I think there's a lot of enthusiasm for it. As yeah, with and like the battle perspective looks like uh looks like Riviera the Promised Land, like the way they the kind of shifts into isometric forty five degree angle. Neat. Yeah, so this... I think this game looks really neat. It won't be a while before we see much more details from it, I assume, but uh I haven't really followed up to see if they've like listed they've got a few stretch goals kind of listed, but they're kind of behind like I guess right now what they're listed at is uh, more in-game cinematics. If a certain stretch goal is reached and they've got more after that, it's still got like four weeks left. So uh, maybe we'll we'll wrap up once it's all uh, finished and see if, it, if it's significant. We might do like a wrap-up post to see all the details that are that come out of the Kickstarter. Because the, the publishers, we kind of saw this uh, a bunch over the last several years. They use these Kickstarter pages to like update, to provide updates to the games, even both before launch and even after launch in some cases uh oh i just saw i just saw the pledged amount tick up as i was looking at it so uh i'm gonna assume that was one of you three i did it but yeah sea of stars from sabotage studios developers of the messenger it looks really neat you should at least you owe it to yourself to at least watch the trailer Mm -hmm. all right uh next on the list is a new game that has been announced from Nippon Ichi Software. Uh, I'm going to hand this over to... Who wants to talk about this one? Because I don't know much about it. I saw, well, I saw we, the trailer. Josh mentioned it. Uh, Josh mentioned this game already on a previous podcast briefly when it was released in magazines, but how it always works is it gets the full reveal a little bit later. So I didn't um, get the title yet. So I don't know this if Josh called? wants to... Yeah, this one's uh, Shoujo Jigoku no Doku Musume from uh, Nippon Thank Ichi you, Software. Um yeah, I, I I touched upon this a little bit uh, last podcast. It's an action RPG. Um, it's all it's all about like kind of delving into these, uh, I guess, like domains from these like uh, four girls, and then you have to like uh, purify their domains. I guess it's kind of like it has like a shooter aspect to it, and there's also an- another like gameplay element to it. Uh, it, it there's it, it it looks really really good. Like for art style I wise, watched, I did watch it. I watched, I watched the trailer, and it does seem to have a lot of like persona type influences. Yeah, it's at it's least, like a, it's like a little bit poppy. Yeah, like you, you you think about like uh, Nippon Ichi's like general aesthetic and like very bold outlines to their uh, designs, and then give it like the the poppy like look of persona. But it has like that acidic aesthetic as well that you saw like in uh, Mary Skelter. Uh, it, it's like a, it's kind of a, a an interesting blend of like uh, artistic directions. Um, I, I'm not really too sure on how it plays. Uh, I watched the trailer as well. I was like, okay, there's a shooter element to it. There's it looks like there's like maybe uh, a Splatoon looking 
um, thing to it as well because there's like poison swamps all around it, and I think there's like a there there are like specific like zones you need to establish in there. So I'm not I'm not too exactly sure what's going on in it, but it looks nice. I mean, I'm sure it'll get localized sometime between this year and yeah, this year. Yeah, I was to say it doesn't it doesn't have any formal announcement of a uh, of a Western or or a, or a worldwide release, but it is coming out in Japan uh, June 25th. So it looks kind of like I mean, Nice America, NAS America will release everything. So it's coming eventually. Yeah, and then Nice America is at an interesting position because they're one of the more uh, like you know smaller studios in Japan that like like take a lot of risk uh, experimental projects and whatnot. A lot of them don't really hit the mark, but it's always nice to see them try to like see different ideas pop out of them. Um, I, I think. That. Well, more so what I, I meant, think I, NIS America, yeah. is, this is their parent company. When's the last time NIS, yeah. NIS America has not released a parent company game? Um, that, uh, I mean, to all like of the, mankind. The phone game? Like... No, the, 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 like, there's this RPG to, of, uh, of a survival RPG at a post-apocalyptic world of like, there's like, it's like an all-female cast called To All of Mankind. I think it was received very poorly in Japan, if I remember correctly. Didn't they never th- release that kind of minecraft like game either um forget the name but you know what i'm talking about right yeah i can vaguely like see it in my head i think there were like one or two that never got localized the the that disgaea rpg gotcha mobile game is keeping them afloat i believe the moment it's doing a lot but other than that uh, like 95 percent of the releases usually get localized unless they're received very poorly i think we're still waiting for rpg maker from them and that is looking more like it's not going to happen either, if I remember correctly. Yeah, they announced that in like 2018, and then it was delayed indefinitely, and it's still on their website, and you can still pre-order it, I think. Yeah, um, and, and and but that, that was received so poorly, like in uh, domestically, that I don't know what's going on in it. It's just widely received to be a bad game uh, in general. So I don't know. But this game, we're we're anticipate we'll get an announcement for it, but who knows? Probably. All that. But it looks neat. It has a kind of a unique persona-ish kind of persona meets Disgaea flavor to it. Uh, we'll hopefully see some localization announcements for it within the next couple of months. Uh, lastly, there's a late update. Oh yeah. Well, whenever we mention uh, NIS, we gotta wonder where that one's at. So this was a late update that I assume James kind of put on the list, but uh, Monster Hunter uh, World obviously is getting, it's kind of got its own update cadence for both consoles and PCs right now. And I don't want to get too much in the weeds with like specific variant monsters that are coming to each version or whatever. I talked a little bit about the raid that I'm going to be probably doing on PC later today, but they did announce a new returning monster to the series uh, that will be coming in April, I believe. Uh, Alatrion. May. Which to me is... I think it's oh, in May. May. Oh, April is the uh, Master Rank, Cult Teroth, and Arc Templars, Namio. So those are kind of the variants I was talking about. But Alatrion, to me, that is just a name on a page because I haven't played old Monster Hunters. He was uh, the James, final boss. He was the final boss for the online um, hub in Monster Hunter Try on the Wii. Is it a dragon? Is it a uh, something different? It's a dragon, and it's one of the more unique in the series because he has... So most final bosses have, like, one specific element or something they deal. The thing with the whole th- deal with Philatrion is that he's an unstable dragon, and he has, like, he 
changes his uh, element mid-fight. Oh, that sucks. <laughs> that sucks. Yeah. So one thing that I just kind of want to look at, just to kind of tie this into uh, our earlier discussion that was really brief, is when did Iceborne first release for consoles? Uh, September. So we're so this will be May. So we're we're coming on like that eight nine month window where they're still giving updates, and again that's updates to the expansion. They, so they, yeah, and they say that June onward there will still be new monsters being added, plural. So probably yeah. at least the full year of support, I'd imagine. It'll I, probably I think, go until uh, September. Are they still on track for uh, getting console to PC parity in April or May? I think. The I whole reason like why this guy isn't releasing April, I imagine, is to sync up um, the console and PC uh, versions this April. Yeah. Hmm. As someone who's been playing the PC version, I will say that I do feel the like the the uh, you know sped up cadence for the releases, where we had like the winter uh, festival, and then a few weeks later they had the lunar festival for the new year. And it feels like they're yeah. updating the game every other week. So it does feel like they're holding true to their word where they're like, hey, we're going to get these two things synchronized. So it seems like, from my perspective, everything's on track for that. So that's, which is, I just, that's, I think that's, that is commendable that they aren't, that they're, they, they set out, we've seen studios set out roadmaps and then just kind of ignore them or shift them or push them back. And then, you know, Capcom. Or even entire uh, game download uh, services like Epic. Remember when they had a roadmap? Yeah. yeah, and then but but Capcom they put out a roadmap, and as far as I know, they have stuck to it. They they have not missed a beat, or if they have missed, it's been like by a week or two, uh, and that's that's just me hedging just in case. Uh, they haven't really missed any of the. Uh, they haven't missed any of the releases that they've scheduled. What they've missed have been announcement dates, but that's only because they had originally planned to. Uh, Showcase trailers at events have now been canceled because of coronavirus. Right. Everything comes back to coronavirus. So yeah, new monsters coming to Monster Hunter almost a year after release of the expansion. Almost, you know, the original game released in January 2018. So that's how long of a tale that they've managed to keep on this. That's a cheeky pun because you cut off tails in uh, Monster Hunter. <laughs> I'm just going to point that out. Yeah. You guys are no fun. All right. <laughs> The, the, the last the last topic here is again coronavirus related but uh i think a few of us got some scary emails over the last week from potentially amazon or other distributors saying that our final fantasy 7 remake pre-orders for physical copies might be delayed potentially the the wording is usually pretty careful to not they don't, not, they don't want to guarantee the release date. They don't want to say for sure they know it's delayed. But basically, they've put up some PSAs on their Twitter page for the game, basically saying that the the supply chain for the physical releases is understandably kind of been upended. So I think everyone's, at least my Amazon pre-order went to an unknown date, then it went back to the April 10th date. It's just kind of one of those things where it's like, well, you hope everything's just going to release as normal, but we just don't know for certain. So... Uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake and probably other physical games. It, it was just... a weird announcement from them because it was from their Twitter. It's one of those images uh, like with uh, a screenshot with text on it saying, "Oh, you know, like it's uh, like it's obvious why they're why they're making that announcement, but it's also a weird one." Uh, like yeah. uh, obviously, like that that's not only a Final Fantasy VII Remake exclusive type of like 
situation. Yeah, it's, we, it's for yeah, every for video instance, game. For yeah, release. like for so GameStop, they they've been in the news a lot the last 24 48 hours for different things. I it think started when all of us said, can uh, agree with I was going to say it started when they decided to release was it was it Doom a day early so that they wouldn't have their crowds in their stores at the same time? Yeah. Uh, what they did is that they announced that they were going to sell Doom a day early and then when they got increasing pressure from state governments to start shutting their stores down because holy fuck, why are they still open in a pandemic? They're not essential no matter what corporate says. They basically said, oh fuck, we need to sell Animal Crossing too or else we're going to have all these canceled pre-orders. So it's, so it's kind of fucked up two ways, right? Because uh, we've been hearing this uh, from Cullen. He's a employee of GameStop. He, he works there. And uh, at first they didn't know about the, se- uh, the separation of Doom and Animal Crossing sales until it started being like until like you saw tweets about it and word of mouth like they didn't really uh, announce that to employees until like the last minute so fucked up number one number two is that essential service uh thing so the basically gamestop sent out an email to them uh saying hey if they're like are any cops or anyone showing up saying hey please close down because of the shelter in place order uh because you know you're not deemed as an essential service but just you know by all means, yes, the GameStop is not an essential service. It's a fucking video game retail service. They're not like, like, like Vons or you know Walmart or Target. Show like you know. Hell, actually... there's even an argument for Best Buy because people need stuff to work from home, and they sell appliances, and they're a big warehouse, and yeah. can actually distance people throughout the store. Yes, and GameStop usually is a very small store, um, so and whatnot. And then they told people their employees. Give them this notice if they can ask about it. And that notice basically says, hey, please go call our corporate office at this number. That's it. You know, and that's fucked up. Uh, so after uh, that, uh, that story started breaking out uh, of like, hey, GameStop, what the fuck are you doing? Why aren't you closing down during this shelter in place order? Uh, a, day, a day later, uh, they started closing down uh, in places with that. Like California and Pennsylvania, uh, at least in California, I don't know if Pennsylvania has the shelter-in-place order right now. I think they do, but I can't yeah. remember. In California, they, they recently did uh, just a day ago. In a week, um, pretty much everywhere is going to have it. Yeah, and then they, so hopefully, like they start course correcting on this fast to other GameStop stores around the around the country, and you know, right now what we're going through with coronavirus is like. If you're not an essential service, I'll be closed down. You know, the, the, maybe you need the curve. You did like flatten the curve on this. Can, GameStop corporate cannot keep on doing this. Maybe yeah. this is a bit too blunt, but at this point, even if GameStop does survive the whole coronavirus thing, I'm never giving them my money again because that was such an irresponsible decision on the corporate's part. Yeah, that was directly endangering people and even encouraging people to spread the disease because the whole thing about coronavirus is is that people can be asymptomatic for two weeks still have it and be spreading it around yeah it's just then then, you know there'll be like i get it like people are going to be mad about not getting their video games like on time physically it's like that's kind of besides the point I, i get it that like you gave them their money already uh, to, to go pre-order it and whatnot. This GameStop has a website. They can just yep. ship it out to you. Yep, exactly. And it's just, 
that's very irresponsible of them. And I'm 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 sure they'll start closing down more and more of these stores now that it's now that the seeds are in place to for it and whatnot. So it is what it is at the moment. Yeah. yeah so keep an eye on your physical releases or whether you've pre-ordered it or planning to step out for it. Uh because we don't know whether you'll be able to go into a store and get it or even get it shipped to you. You might have to go digital, depending. But And, yeah, and it's, it all, it's it also one depends. of those things that, like, every every one of the things that they sell in store, you can get it at other places that are deemed essential, like Walmart and Target and whatnot, that have their own electronic. And like James said earlier, Best Buy as well, uh, When more as more and more people are working from home. it's It's infuriating a little. People have been talking about how this is probably going to accelerate like digital like adoptance rates for games, and I can see it. Like, if no other reason, then like if GameStop doesn't survive this, if local game stores don't survive this, it's like it 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 is a weird do and die situation for GameStop at at, at a certain point too, because like if if GameStop is closed, that all GameStop stores are closed down for more than two months. Do they can they take that hit right now? I don't know. I do not know. They're already in a, in a struggling position. Save them, Reggie. Man, Reggie t- chose the wrong time to get in. Yeah, I see. I see, so, I see some people like legitimately trying to call him out, but he doesn't tell the board of directors yeah. until April. Like, so I technically, he doesn't like, have anything to do with him. Oh, I didn't even know that part about it yet. So he's not even technically on the board yet. Not yet. Well. And then when he's on there, it's like there's a boulder rolling downhill and they're putting him at the bottom. Like, please stop this. Do your best. I wouldn't be surprised if in the next week we just hear about him saying, yeah, so I'm dipping. Maybe. I mean, this story about GameStop uh, being a central business has already started spreading to the point that like CNN is reporting it. So it's like a lot of eyes are on it. This, uh, the way me and my friends have been talking about like GameStop's been bleeding out for a while and this feels just like the mercy kill because nobody's going to want to support GameStop as a brand after this. I, I just don't see it happening. Yeah. I think some people might just be less uh less, I don't know, emotionally driven by it. They just don't care. Like if they can get a decent pre order bundle for it and GameStop's still around, they'll they don't care what GameStop did during coronavirus. Some people are just gonna think like that. That's if they're yeah. still around, though. Yeah. I don't know. Stay safe, right, friends. So, uh, yeah. RPGs and coronavirus and GameStop and physical editions, and hopefully we can all still play Final Fantasy VII on April 10th. That's play Animal that. Crossing, y'all. You're going to need it. <laughs> all right. Are there anything else that anyone wants to bring up uh, before we start going to the sign-off section? No, no. Well, what's coming out? Is there anything coming out uh, on the upcoming week? Uh, Persona next, not oh, no, next that's, week. Yeah, that's two weeks. I think that's on the thirty first. I want to say a week and a half then. Yeah. Hey, I get to plug that uh-huh. I keep the list of RPGs uh-huh. on our website. I update it constantly. Uh, let's see. So this week, this next week is the week ending the twenty seventh. So what's coming out this week? Uh, well, you did mention. Oh, my bad. You did mention well, War of the Visions, Final Fantasy, Brave Exvius is coming out <clears> this <throat> upcoming week. Yeah. So my list for RPGs coming out this week: 
Trails of Cold Steel 3 for PC comes out March 23rd. I've actually been playing that. I just haven't talked about it. We kind of know what it is. Uh, indie tactical RPG Element Space. Indie uh, roguelike RPG Deep Sky Derelicts. Indie tactical RPG Iron Danger. Indie classic RPG RFL Enhanced Edition. Indie card RPG Grand Guilds. Indie tactical RPG Children of the Zodiacs on March 27th. And I think I think Neverwinter Nights is getting a like one of their uh expansions this week so what what, oh okay yeah yeah what what they do is they get like these mod these modules that then get like the official stamp from i don't know if it's wizards of the coast or someone else but from the publisher and i think one of those is releasing this week okay just if you're the one of the few people still playing that there you go so that's a lot of yeah mostly indie rpgs this week (laughs) and then on, on top of that we've got some people still playing through ori one or two uh, and then Doom, Animal Crossing. That uh, open beta for Fantasy Star Online 2 also recently uh, opened up just this pa- just the past few days as well. All right. Just as, yep. Xbox only. Xbox One only at the moment. Perfect timing. <laughs> yeah. All right. As always, you can reach us on our website at rpgsite.net. Uh, we're very active on Twitter at rpgsite. You can find us on Facebook or YouTube at RPG Site Net. You can find this TetraCast on iTunes or Google Play or on the website itself. We do have a Discord channel. The easiest way to get there would probably be through the link in our homepage. You can meet. You can follow me on Twitter if you'd like at Zeomasicot, Z-E-O-M-A-S-S-I-C-O-T. Josh, where can they find you? You can follow me at HDKirin, H-D-K-I-R-I-N, as I still try to figure out my way around my first Animal Crossing. And asking people, how do I do this? How do I do that? And whatnot. Uh, Adam, where can they find you? How about you find don't find me? That's right. That's fair enough. And then James. You can find me at T-H-E-S-W-W-E-E-T on Twitter. And despite everything going on with the coronavirus, we plan on still being here regularly. Uh, we're social distancing because we're doing this remote. So it's baked in. So we'll be here next week to talk about everything that we play in the next coming weeks. And we'll, we'll still be, we will be your RPG rock as the uh, uncertain future of RPG physical shipments looms overhead. So we will see you all next time. Thanks.